Hey guys, welcome back to Monday Warfare, the battles with them. We're all the way up to episode 17 now, and we're in April of 1996. I'm your host, Ray Russell, and joining me, welcome back, Mr. Steve Ekstat, to the program. What's going on, guys? Steve, we've uh, got two more weeks of Raw and Nitro to cover. Of course, we're coming off of the April 8th week. Of course, there was no Nitro last week, so they've got a lot of making up to do here this week. We're going to see how they do on the uh, 15th episode. But before we get to the TV, I was curious, you just uh, finished watching these recently. Um, how would you say WCW is done in building to their upcoming Slambury pay-per-view? Uh, Terrible. Okay, <laughs> because <laughs> I'm asking this because it's noted in the news that Slamboree will no longer be a Legends reunion. There will no longer be a Legends Hall of Fame ceremony. It's going to be Lethal Lottery and Battle Bowl. And uh, just based on some of the matches that they draw, I can't believe they're announcing. I would have rather have waited and just pulled, I'm, I'm using air quotes, Steve, pulled these matches out at random on the pay-per-view instead of announcing these in advance. I get why they do it for a couple of the matches, but... Some of these do not make me want to watch the actual pay-per-view event. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. If you thought wrestling was on the up and up after you hear some of the teams that are announced, you know it's fake at this point. <laughs> right, yeah. they Sorry oh, it's the baby yelling. But, uh... <laughs> it's, uh, it's absolutely overkill uh, when they try to get, a point, you know, get, get across the point of uh, anything can happen. It's just slap you in the face, breaking kayfabe, some of this stuff when we get moving here. I just... I thought that was funny as we get going. Some news and notes on contracts. As you know, Nash and Hall are coming in, so everybody's getting a little pissy about contracts here in WCW. The Road Warriors actually quit WCW for a moment. They actually never had a full-time contract with the company, but rather an offer sheet. And what an offer sheet is is basically they agree, WCW agrees to pay the roadies X amount of dollars for every appearance they make. It doesn't mean they're actually contracted to the WCW company at this point, but apparently cooler heads prevailed, and the reason they wanted to quit, Steve, they learned that Hall and Nash were going to make more money than them. These guys are living in the 1980s. Of course, this all gets blown over, and the roadies eventually sign the contract, and they're still with WCW. What, what good that does, I don't know. Also, Elizabeth might have been a little unhappy with whatever she was making after signing with WCW back in January, and she looked to be out the door earlier this week as well, but they smoothed that over as well, a.k.a. they threw her some extra cash, and Elizabeth's going to stick around and just kind of stand there. What is your take on these, uh, these uh, WCW paying these guys a little more money to keep them around? Uh, I think WCW should have realized what they had and just cut bait. Uh, the roadies look like shit. After that initial excitement of them being back, I mean, really, they've done nothing except look terrible. Elizabeth has done nothing. The appeal's gone. She hasn't amounted to do anything. It's just a waste of money, waste of space, and a waste of everything. So they should have realized what they had and just cut bait. I don't yeah. think Vince would have touched them. It's, it's kind of hilarious but. that you use the term cut bait, Steve, because they do cut bait on a fish, reportedly anyway. The shark, or John Tenta, who was earning a quarter of a million dollars per year. Insane. Talk about being a good Hogan friend. This is what gets you a couple good uh, paychecks in the bank. Uh, making Hogan look good in 1990 was the earthquake. And so here in 1996, the shark was making a quarter of a million dollars as an undercard member of the Dungeon of Doom. Now, we know John Tenta sticks around, but I'm, I'm not sure if it's on a per-appearance basis, if he took less money because he realized where he was on the card. But at this point, they, they do cut bait with shark. So I do agree with you about Rhodey's and Liz. On paper, those names are amazing. It's great to say we have the Road Warriors and Miss Elizabeth under contract, but 
giving them more money because they're being pissy about what other people are making. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're... I, I don't know. I, I can't make anything out of it either. And I agree with you. I don't know that anything would have changed had we lost the roadies, had we lost Liz, who kind of just stands there. And I love me some Miss Elizabeth, but really, Steve, that's what she's doing. She's just standing there. And after being in the business as long as she had, you'd think she would catch on a little better. But there, she has that one face, and sometimes she breaks character and smiles or laughs. But outside of that, that's that's all we get. Yeah, it's just a waste of money. What's weird is, like, people trash Hogan, but shit, look at he's taking He's taking care of his boys here. Uh, yeah. 250000 for for the shark. I mean, he may not have put anybody over, but hell, he's taking care of some people and gotten them paid quite nicely. So um, I guess you take the good with the bad, I guess. Yeah, no wonder Honky Tonk Man was pissed when he couldn't get a contract there. Jeez, oh man. <laughs> I can't say I blame him. We also learn, uh-oh, Steve McMichael is coming out of the announce booth. He's preparing for a wrestling match where he will team with Kevin Green for a tag team match on the June pay-per-view. That'll be, well, it's coming up. <laughs> and they're already kind of setting the stage Great there. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that you know, throughout the shows with Ric Flair and what they do with Deborah McMichael and whatnot. There's also talk of Nitro going to two hours, which we know will happen by the end of May. Every Monday night, Nitro will go to two hours. The idea behind that is TNT would increase its weekly payment to WCW for the second hour, which would make WCW even more profitable. And with the added money, they can acquire even more talent. It would also give them a one-hour jump on Titan, since the hour would be in place of Thunder in Paradise. What a bummer. Even if two hours is overexposure, says DeMeltz, from a wrestling standpoint, from a TNT standpoint, an hour of Nitro would do double the ratings of Thunder in Paradise, which is true. <laughs> yeah, it's smart. I mean, I don't know. I guess it pays to be on the network that owns you. You know, Thunder in Paradise, I didn't really do a follow-up on it. I didn't really learn a whole lot about it. When that was airing, I, I didn't really watch it, but I just assumed it was recent. Like, it had, it was airing at the same time WCW was airing. I didn't realize that it was already been in syndication. It had already fucking, the ship had sailed. There was 22 episodes made, one season, and that was it. And they're basically just showing reruns here on TNT leading into Nitro, and they're selling it like it's some big thing. And I, at the time, I didn't realize it had already aired. It was already off TV and whatever. But it's really just reruns of, of Thunder and Paradise here, and it's re really worthless. And we're gonna, I think I got ratings of Thunder and Paradise before this episode's over. Another piece of news, Lanny Poffo, you guys might know him also as the genius, is pretty much a sure thing to come in with a gorgeous George gimmick. Of course, we know Randy Savage went to the indie wrestler Gorgeous George III, who would pop up in WCW later as the maestro and purchase the gorgeous George name outright so that he could give it to brother Lanny and get Lanny on the payroll. Of course, Lanny was on the payroll already getting paid tremendous money to sit at home. And I think that's uh, supposedly according to uh, gorgeous George, the female valet of Savage, who he eventually gave her the name. She claims uh, Randy was pissed at Lanny because Lanny was sitting at home and getting out of shape and he wasn't getting prepared to return to the ring or taking this seriously. She kind of basically called Lanny a mooch. I don't know if that's true or not. Of course, everybody's pointing fingers there. But Lanny Poffo at one point, it's uh, not, a, not a secret that Lanny Poffo was pegged to come in, of course, the brother of Randy Savage, to come in and do the Gorgeous George gimmick, with, which, after the genius, I think he could have pulled it off pretty damn well. Yeah, he definitely could have. It, it would have worked just fine. I don't know what to think of Gorgeous George, the female uh, right. Macho Man's girlfriend. She's, she's been saying a lot of things lately that she really hasn't been saying this whole time i don't know what makes a difference you know 10 years later whatever the case may be maybe you're just bored and you've seen all these people doing things online and you want to get a part of the action so you're just talking like saying her 
Macho was on a drug kick, and that's when Savage told her about screwing Stephanie. And it's like, it seems far-fetched and just ridiculous and a waste of time, so I don't know who to believe. I'm sure... Well. There's we do know one thing because he never shows up. Right. And we do up. know that he was Savage did go purchase that name for him. So we do know that. And there's got to be a reason why Lanny never shows up on TV because everybody on <laughs> Hogan's buddies showed up on TV. They're far worse soft than, than Lanny Poffo. Yeah. So it's either one, he never got into the shape that he needed or maybe, I don't know, like, is, is it Bischoff's call? Like, hey, I don't really want this dude on TV. Everybody's <laughs> going to know who it is or what's going on or Everybody should now, know like, who all of these people Macho are. Man's brother. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, like, well, I guess. So, so I'm saying like casual fans from the 80s don't even like watching WWF may not realize that's Savage's brother. They did now, obviously. But back then, they probably didn't even put two and two together. Nobody really knew. But by 96, 97, there's enough information out there that, okay, that's Savage's brother. So if you try to do this gorgeous George gimmick, it may ju- it just may not work due to the fact that everybody knows it's Savage's brother. So why don't you have them together? So maybe they just didn't want to deal with it. I don't know. But Poffo seems to be the type of guy that would stay in shape, at least the yeah. genius anyway. Like he seems to be always fit and ready to go. I-, I don't I don't know. He's never really gotten overly big to the point where he's lazy or slob or, you know, whatever. He never he's never gotten huge. You know, he's right. always been in pretty good shape. Yeah, I mean, I so can't I say much. I, I think he's been off TV since I don't know. Survivor Series 92, so I don't know what's going on with him here in 96, but yeah, it's just interesting. Savage goes out of his way, purchases this rights to this name, and then we never get the Gorgeous George character, which I remember the rumors in the late 90s for that valet, Miss uh, whatever her name is, Stephanie something maybe, I don't remember, before she took on the name. Now, I, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Frankenstein, that's right. Yeah, but before she took on the Gorgeous George name, it was already on the internet in, in the 90s that... Lanny Poffo was coming in. We all know he was under contract and he was supposed to come in as that gorgeous George name. So that's not debatable. That's definitely, it was a thing at one time. Now, the reason why you're right. We really truly don't know. Uh, the biggest piece of news, Steve, before we get to nitro is Brian Pillman suffered an injury. He was thrown 40 feet out of the, uh, Humvee, his Hummer. He was driving, he was driving in it on the April 15th. And Demelt says as of press time and the observer, Pillman was hospitalized in Cincinnati with multiple fractures and lacerations. Pillman, 33 at the time, ran off the road on Kentucky Route 338 and struck a tree stump, then went across the roadway into a field where his Hummer overturned and he was thrown 40 feet from the vehicle, according to three witnesses who estimated his driving speed at 60 to 70 miles an hour in a 45 mile per hour zone. Pillman was listed in critical condition on the 16th of April, but his condition was said not to be life-threatening at that point. And there was no speculation about his status as far as wrestling and, and his wrestling career. There was no other details available as of press time. And DeMelt says from a wrestling career standpoint, the timing of this injury couldn't have been worse. Pillman's contract with WCW expired this week, the same week as this injury. And there was dialogue going on regarding a new deal, but this will no doubt make WCW a lot more skeptical. Pillman had also reached an agreement with ECW where he would work for the group provided he didn't reach a deal with the WWF for WCW, including building to a match with Shane Douglas at the ECW Arena, which obviously would have to be on hold as well at this point. So a little more on Pillman later in the show, but uh, this is terrible, terrible accident. Yeah, we don't, we didn't know it at this point, but this was pretty much the down, downfall of his career. This is it. This is what caused it. I mean, we all know, he, according from what I've heard, I think it maybe even been his DVD and just reading The Observer, 
is he constantly came back early from injuries and he just kept on re-injuring his leg and re-injuring his foot and, and things like that. Never fully healed. I'm assuming that's what got him addicted to the painkillers or whatever it is. And then I know, I, I don't think that's what killed him. I think he had a heart attack or something. I don't know. I can't remember. Um, it wasn't anything drug related from what I recall, but it just seems like he, I think Jim Ross summed it up perfect that he died of a broken heart because he had, he basically had the wrestling world in the palm of his hands there for a little bit and uh, with this gimmick. And he was at the peak of being able to make an insane amount of money. And then this car accident happened and it basically robbed us of what Brian Pillman could have been. I would have loved to have seen a healthy Brian Pillman in the WWF machine just to see what we could get. But it kind of just started, stopped, stopped, started. You know, it doesn't never really take off. So, yeah. And here you have, you have to think about it, too. Remember Pillman's that whole build up, the, the Pillman angle, the crazy Pillman was really getting big, big, bigger, bigger. And then Hogan tried to put the kibosh on it by leg dropping him, so to speak, in so many words. But Pillman found a way out of the Doomsday Cage match so that wouldn't happen. Very wise of Brian Pillman to do that. But here's the kicker. Hogan's gone after this week. What Brian Pillman could have done had he stayed with the company, stayed healthy, for the next few months, he really could have gotten himself over without Hogan trying to squash that heat. Yeah, definitely could have. And he's always seemed like a ahead of the curve, smart individual when it comes to uh, the business. I, we talked about him on the grenade when he came in, like how his promos were really good. And I never really knew Pillman to be a good talker like that. And that back then, but his promos always delivered and he just seemed intelligent and kind of knew where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do. And obviously he has his hands all over this gimmick. It's definitely, I'm sure it's him and Bischoff talking and, Maybe Sullivan. I don't know. I know Bischoff takes a lot of credit for some of this stuff. They like to work the boys, which makes no sense. But you can tell he's smart. It's just his body couldn't hold up, and that's unfortunate. We kick off WCW Monday Nitro for April 15th. We're on Charleston, West Virginia, in front of 8,040 fans. That's 6381 paid. That's maybe the highest number paid so far, I think, for a Nitro. And what makes it even crazier, Steve? Demelt says these numbers are phenomenal numbers considering there was a tornado watch in town at the time of the show. And if you didn't know it going into the show, the announcers let you know it pretty much every five minutes throughout the course of the show that there's tornado warnings, tornado watches, <laughs> depending on who's talking on the commentary at that time. But they do play that up. And that's a pretty, pretty damn good draw. Oh, never mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, didn't they have a power outage once on a Nitro? Briefly. Did their yeah, power go during out? A, yeah, or during a tag match. No, that was a Oh, Nitro. no, no. That's when they... They blame Raw for doing it. Right. Or Vince for doing it. And then yeah, Bischoff right. had to okay, apologize for making the joke. <laughs> he got neutered. But yeah. <laughs> no, it sounds like they're making fun of themselves, you know. <laughs> hey, guys, there's a lot of weather. We're Which make is it, though. kind of funny considering what happens next month in the WWF. <laughs> Must yeah. have been a bad That's what tornado. I thought they were doing. They were just making fun of Vince. I thought they were making fun of Vince for uh, having his power go out. But obviously, that hasn't happened yet. So. Right. So, Crazy weather in 96, man. That's what Storms, I said. Must have been hell of a tornado weather. Ice storm, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, the ice storm that, that previous winter like yeah. uh, we had. So <laughs> we had the extremes all over the place. And since there was no episode on April 8th, we're coming back from April 1st was the last Nitro where Hogan and the Booty Man promised a special surprise match, rematch, against Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan. Raw, this is the week that it starts, by the way, Steve. Raw decides they're going to start getting a jump on Nitro. They're going to start airing on USA at 8.57, no more 9 p.m. It's 8.57. So 
since Ted Turner owns TNT, and since Ted Turner owns WCW, Nitro now starts at 8.56. How petty. A minute earlier. Just petty pettiness on both sides as they try to get the jump on one another. I don't even know why Raw didn't just go back to nine at that point. Like, why even bother trying? Uh, We do kick off the show. It was supposed to be that match I mentioned, Hogan and Booty versus Anderson and Kevin Sullivan. There's no Booty Man here. It's not really explained other than Beefcake is quote-unquote injured. I don't even know if that's a legit injury or not. So the special stipulation match winds up being a handicap match, Steve. It's Hulk Hogan taking on Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan. They're accompanied to the ring by Woman, Miss Elizabeth, and Jimmy Hart. And, you know, we've seen Hogan take on like 50 people at a time. So this is a, should be a cakewalk, I thought, going into this. Arn and Sullivan, just two guys versus Hulk Hogan? That's right. Should be so, pretty easy, right? You know, we'll see what happens here. His booty is injured, as they note, <laughs> as the heels attack the Hulkster. He fights both guys off at once. Of course he does. Hogan does his crappy figure four on Kevin Sullivan's little legs. Looks absolutely stupid again. Hogan does the figure four the wrong way on Arn Anderson, that old Shawn Michaels way. You remember that match where Shawn put it on with the leg underneath instead of over top of the other leg? And then he tried to sell it as a new finisher? Well, Hogan does it here way back. So Hogan was doing things before they were cool. Hogan wraps Arn's leg underneath. <laughs> he put it on the improper way. I'll put it that way. And he locks Hulk, or Arn Anderson in this terrible looking figure four as well. As Kimberly, the booty babe, makes her way down to ringside, even though there's no beefcake out here. So clearly Hogan trying to make her the new Elizabeth for his group. Hogan just <laughs> no-selling both men at the same time during the match. Hogan even no-sells a chair shot from Kevin Sullivan, takes the chair and gives it back to both guys. It's apparently no disqualification, I noted at this point, but Randy Anderson is counting. So there may be no DQs because of all these chair shots, but apparently there's countouts. It, it, n- none of this makes any sense to me. The heels do finally take over control. They double-team Hogan on the floor. Jimmy Hart even gets in a few cheap shots, and a spike pile driver gets countered, as Hulk catapults Arn into Sullivan, who was standing on the ropes. And then the big leg dropped to Sullivan, and Hogan gets the win. This is the big rivalry rematch, Steve. Hogan gets the win on two guys in four minutes and 20 seconds. My comment for this match was, what ass? You know, at this point, like, it's, it's just whatever. I mean, we can bag on Hogan. We can do whatever we want. It's just a new week doing the same thing that we've seen over gonna, and over and over again. I'm going to be sad I'm, when I'm we can't. I'm glad he's gone after this. Oh, thank God. Yes, absolutely. The only sad part about this <laughs> is not. people, uh, I think that's the one big feedback we get on this show, is they love our take on Hulk Hogan and how we dissect the nonsense that is Hulk Hogan and his booking and his logic and just the, the insanity that everybody was allowing this to happen. I wrote, I I also wrote at the end of this match, when I got done watching this match, Hulk Hogan should be embarrassed. His offense is just atrocious at this point. He's not putting on figure fours properly. He's not connecting with his punches. He's missing by a good half a foot. I mean, you can be old. He's not even old here, Steve, but you could be old. You still should be able to, I'm pretty sure if Jerry Lawler got in the ring right now, he could throw one of those Jerry Lawler punches. It's not like you're taking a bump or doing anything fancy here. It just looks like shit. It's like he doesn't care. And then post-match, Hogan is supposed to get, this is the stipulation that Beefcake must have implemented, Hogan gets five minutes with a manager of his choosing. So initially, Hogan grabs woman. He's going to beat the hell out of woman. But then he sees Liz, and he grabs Liz instead. And like, I really believe that one, Steve. So finally, he releases both ladies, and he chooses Jimmy Hart. 
Jimmy Hart tries the old Memphis powder trick to the eyes of Hogan, but Hogan blocks it. He rips Jimmy Hart's shirt off and lands an atomic drop at the big boot. But here comes the giant. And it's chokeslam time, Steve. But Hogan no-sells it, jumps up, hulks up, fuck you, giant, fuck you and your finisher. And then Hogan with the big boot and the body slam to the giant, but Mean Gene trying to come in. Now, this made silly, this was silly nonsense, made no sense. Mean Gene's trying to come in for a promo while Hogan's in the middle of slamming the giant. So when Hogan turns around, he picks up Mean Gene. He's going to slam Mean Gene. He's, he's in the moment, Steve. He's going to slam Mean Gene. But nope, nope. He realizes who it is. He lets Gene down. Because Gene would have been, huh, my lawyers are going to have a field day with this, Hulkster. Yeah, so the giant rolls out of the ring. He escapes. So in the matter of six, seven minutes, he's killed Arn Anderson. He's killed Kevin Sullivan. He's beat up Jimmy Hart. He's no-sold the choke slam, which comes into play later. Wait till we get to that. And he slams the giant like a bitch and clears out WCW and cuts this promo. This is a a hell of a fucking promo, given what happens afterwards. Hogan cuts this promo. I thank God there were mic issues, by the way, so we didn't have to hear the whole thing. But basically, Hulk says that Hulkamania is back on a roll, brother. I wrote, it is? Because this, as we've already mentioned, is the end of Hulk Hogan for months. He's gone to go make a movie and do whatever he does until he returns what is that, Bash at the Beach, and he made sure to bury everyone on his way out. Absolutely fucking garbage. And I know you're like, well, we say this every week. This is a new height. You're leaving. This, you know this is your last fucking night in the company, and you book yourself to beat everybody, and then you cut a promo saying that Hulkamania's back on track. Fucking ridiculous, Steve. I think like, he, bar- he pinned Kevin Sullivan, who's nothing at this point. I don't even care. Arn wasn't even really involved with much of anything. He did the catapult and then got the hell out of the ring. I mean, he got the shitty figure four put on him. So, I mean, Arn didn't really lose nothing in this one. Really, the, the biggest loser in all of this was the Giant. It's unfortunate he did that to the Giant. The match itself, I don't really care. It doesn't bother me at all. I mean, you, you squash the whole Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen and the Doomsday match at this point. Who cares if you do it on TV for two of them that mean nothing? Arn's well past meaningful anything, uh, and it's kind of be expected after you pin Hogan or beat Hogan twice. I mean, I don't know what you expect out of that, but I feel bad for the Giant because he shouldn't have kicked out of the, the choke slam. The Giant shouldn't even have been involved in this. I can't say the Giant's been protected. You you know lot. this was Hogan he ha- he working has- the Giant in there so he could get one less bitch slap on him before he's on the way out. He had to make sure he got over on the Giant as well. Like you said, it made no sense. He had no business being in there. I think that was just another last-minute yeah, write-in. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. I can see why you, anybody would be upset seeing this, but I feel like, and this is going to be weird, it's, it's going to sound bad, but uh, WCW actually did an excellent job of just pivoting away from Hogan and pretty much ignoring anything that's happened <laughs> last but you, week. But you shouldn't have to do that. Well, though, well, not that's last my week. point. If you know, he's on the way out, well, you better well, put I your foot it. down. I don't even care I that he won it, that match. That, that wasn't the, the worst part of that. And I agree well, with you. The giant thing is absolutely the worst part the of point, it. The point is, is you, you made this monster. So if you're going to get pissed and you, you shouldn't have to do it, they have do, to do it because they put themselves in the situation. Do you think this is a little care. bit of Bischoff or even Kevin Sullivan, whoever's booking and whatever? Do you think this is a little bit of them going, do whatever you want to do tonight because we know you're leaving. Just do whatever the fuck you want to do, do it so we can just k- keep going. It feels that way. I don't. I doubt that's Bischoff. There's no way it's Bischoff. I can see Sullivan saying, what do you want? Do it. Get the hell out of here. I'm done. Right. And like, 
at some like some point, Sullivan, it's probably happened maybe six months prior to this. He's done dealing with Hogan. He probably doesn't even book anything for Hogan. Hogan comes in and says, I want to do this, this, and this with this, this, and this, and I'm done. Okay, cool. Now let's book the rest of the show. And that's kind of how it feels. I don't see how Bischoff can say anything. Because if he's letting this go on the entire run of Nitro, how the hell are you going to wait till the last day that he's there to try to say something to stick up for against him? Like, you look like shit at that point. So you should have done this six months ago or three months ago. So I get it. I understand the hostility and why it's it's shit. But at the same time, they it's created bad this business. monster. It's, it's just will, bad business for the rest of I the will, monster. I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm not knocking. I'm not disagreeing with that. But right. it, it's just only going to get worse at this point. I mean, if you're a name and you're somebody and you come into this company and you see what Hulk Hogan gets away with, and then all of a sudden you see what the new guys get away with, like Hall and Nash, and then all of a sudden here comes more guys and more guys, it, that's a recipe for disaster. You're setting yourself up for absolute failure when which those we, guys which are. Which we find out ultimately show. at the end of the day. <laughs> that is ultimately what happened, and uh, it all started with Hulk Hogan. And and I don't even necessarily blame Hogan. If you're gonna, if somebody's gonna give you that leeway, I'm gonna take advantage of it. I mean, I'm gonna try and get myself as much money as I can. I'm gonna be on top. I deserve to be on top in my mind. If I'm Hogan, that's how I'm thinking. So I'm gonna do everything I can to stay there. I just and, argue um, Hogan should know better than he does know better than this. I mean, when he was, know he when he was leaving to make movies, this, he had Earthquake take him out. He knew that there was more money to be made if he was taken out and made the return. Yeah. It's just here he's so paranoid about his spot or, or being over that he just won't let this die. I got to kill people every week on Nitro as many as possible. Yeah, oh. and the monster that's been created. <laughs> well, there's there's more on it but later in the give, show. I will give, like I said. Uh, like I said, I will give WCW credit. They did a nice job of basically ignoring ignoring that he existed. What happened right the first time at the, that any of this happened? I mean, if you just take out the Hogan stuff from the April first show and the April fifteenth show and just act like it never happened, because that's what WCW does, it's actually not bad. So they do a good job of just ignoring it and act like it didn't happen, and they do their best to build up the giant and try to make him recover. But but let's be honest, it's Hogan who hasn't. What finisher hasn't he kicked out of? Is it really a huge deal that he kicked out of the choke slam? I didn't like it, and I'll tell you everybody, why when we get to the end of, of the show. Because it makes everybody else look like a bitch at the end of the show. Well, yeah, but at the same time, it's Hogan. Hogan's different than everybody else, right? Um, if you say so. I don't. I don't know. Just, <laughs> just didn't see the necessity for the pop up, but we'll continue on with Nitro because we got more on on that situation later. The street fight—it's another street fight, Steve. It's Public Enemy and the Nasty Boys for the umpteenth time now. The Nasty smashed the Public Enemy during the entrance with with plunder, baby. You know what plunder is? It's the weapons, baby. Dr. Rule coined the term plunder, plunderinth, if you will. Garbage cans, lots of garbage cans, Steve. Garbage can lids. It's like they couldn't find any other weapons. So it's just garbage cans galore, stiff shots by both teams. We get that split screen fun they love to do. I feel like they only started these street fights so they could use these split screens. I I feel like that's why they do this. Uh, Chairs are, are even used in this match. Rocco Rock gets thrown through a table. Brian Nobbs runs the ropes into a Rocco chair shot into the back. Johnny Grunge then beats on Nobbs in the ring with a chair. Johnny Grunge goes up top, misses a top rope. I think it was a leg drop, not really sure. And he winds up going through the table, and Nobbs rolls out of the way off the table. Grunge goes through it. Nobbs makes the cover while Sags grabs Rocco Rock to keep him from breaking up the cover. And Nobbs gets the win on Johnny Grunge, 9 minutes and 14 seconds. I wrote, 
it was a pretty fun garbage match until everyone blew up basically last couple of minutes of the match. And I also noted, can public enemy ever get a win? At least on nitro. I'm sure they've won some matches on at, at Disney and maybe on Saturday night, but I don't think they've gotten a straight up one, two, three here on nitro yet. Uh, this was terrible. I, oh, I don't like, it all? like these matches. It's okay. lazy. Huh? I, I no, I just, I thought it was fun for a garbage match, but then it got, they got really blown up and then it was, yeah, it was shit for what it was. I wasn't a fan. Just very boring. I don't like any of these guys. I, I don't mind public enemy and ECW. Uh, they were hell. They were ahead of the time and some really, really tremendous promos, but here they don't know how to work. And there's a lot of teams in WCW that can work and, they can't really. They can't work a normal match. We'll see that next week uh, when they go against American Males. Yeah, and they're out of. Just, they're definitely out of their element. They do nothing for me. Right. And then the Nasty uh, Boys are just crazy <laughs> shits who I can't stand. So, I feel like uh, the day they signed on my TV, the better I am. I feel like the day the Nasty Boys signed with the WWF, they just they never gave a shit ever again. It's what it's, uh, I, I never liked them at all in the WWF. And I, I mean, I enjoyed their stuff with the Steiners, but it's such a small piece of their history. They're in the NWA WCW, but other than that, I've never been a giant Nasty Boys fan. I tried to get behind their, their baby face turn in the WWF, but I mean, they weren't there very much longer after that, so it's really irrelevant, but definitely not a fan of either team here, and it's kind of shocking to me. I haven't watched this stuff, like really hardcore watched it in many, many years. Maybe not ever, as far as paying close attention to everything. I didn't realize how bad Public Enemy were in these wrestling matches, these tag, even the street fight, but these wrestling matches in WCW till we've went back now and started watching them. I'm getting a whole new look at the public enemy in the WCW that I, I didn't take that away. I guess, you know, when we were watching it live back in the day, I never really noticed it. I yeah. suppose. I didn't watch ECW. I didn't have it in my area. Uh, at least that I know of. So I, I never knew what public enemy was. Now I, I've gone back and I've, I've pretty much seen every ECW episode you can see. And what makes public enemy great is, being able them to be able to tell the stories that they want to tell with their promos. And then you get in there and you put them in that you can give them a garbage match. There's no problem with that. It's just when there's blood feud or there's a real, real something they can sink their teeth in that you can get up behind with the promos and things. That's yeah. what makes them work. You can, you can ignore the in ring when the promos are so good, but here they don't get any promo time. The matches are shit because they're very lazy. Everything just seems fake, and you're just walking around hitting each other in the head with a trash can lid. And um, but then you go home, and it's just like it's just very lackluster and not very good. So I don't want to trash the Public Enemy. I love their ECW run, but as far as WCW and everywhere else, it's just utter garbage. Yeah, my first exposure to Public Enemy outside of the aftermags, just reading about them, looking at pictures, and going, "Holy shit!" This, song, you know, because they, they really put them over as the next coming of tag team wrestling. And you bought it if you if you were an aftermag fan, you bought it. You bought into the hype of all these guys. So my first look at Public Enemy is really I, I bought a couple tapes in late '95 from earlier '95 in the ECW arena. Obviously, they were main eventing and tables matches and things. So I was like, something new. I mean, it was exciting. Holy shit! They're going through double tables and. Things like that. So it was, it was pretty awesome. And, but again, they were in the element here. They are out of the element. And so really getting to see public enemy week to week. I didn't see that until they came to WCW because I don't think I got ECW locally until around April, March or April of 96 here. So they were already gone from ECW by the time I had the opportunity to watch the show weekly. And so this is what we get. And post-match after the match, 
Brian Nobbs gets sent off the apron into the rail. Nice bump by Nobbs here. The only good thing he's been doing lately is taking that bump off the apron into the guardrail. Sags gets laid out on the table outside as Rocco Rock hits the ropes and does a somersault plancha over the top rope into Johnny Grunge, who's standing on the apron. And both guys put Sags through the table. I can't believe the Nasties actually took the move this time. As Sags goes through the table, they coined the term public enemy sandwich, which sounded stupid, but I wrote it down anyway. They try to get it over. So both public enemy send Sags crashing through the table to end the segment. So I guess that's how they're supposed to get their heat back. Job every week and then put somebody through a table. I I guess. Doesn't work for me anyway. No, it's like I said, man, it's... uh, it's been interesting going back and then having to watch all of this again. Uh, just different takes on certain people and certain stories and certain things. Uh, we go back to the ring. Macho Man Randy Savage taking on Earl Robert Eaton with Jeeves with the J or Jeeves with the G. They change it every week. Randy Savage is dominant in this one. We even see Fred Flintstone in the crowd for whatever reason. As the match goes on, Bobby Eaton begins to mock the style of Ric Flair to upset the Macho Man, which was not a smart idea. It's funny to see Bobby Eaton try to put on a character, though, with woos and strutting around the ring, even locks in the figure four, and for a nice added touch, he points and shows off a Four Horsemen t-shirt to Randy Savage while in the figure four. I wrote LOL. I I like that. I mean, you don't see Bobby really use all of this charismatic type, uh, you know, offense and and things uh, in the ring. So it was funny seeing Bobby with a, a personality here is, Savage gets wound up. He turns the figure four over. He goes up top, but Jeeves yanks the Macho Man off to the floor. Savage goes after Jeeves and grabs his wig. Yanks poor Jeeves' wig off, and Jeeves goes running to the back. Bobby Eaton comes out, charging at Savage, and takes the big patented backdrop to Bobby Eaton on the concrete in the aisleway. I can't believe Eaton is still taking this move here in 1996. Back to the ring, Savage with the flying elbow drop. Ends this one in just a matter of three minutes and 56 seconds, but it doesn't end there. The Macho Man wants to do it again. Referee Randy Anderson steps in between and Savage tosses him. Alex Wright, Bobby Walker, oh, poor Bobby Walker. Even Jim Duggan tried to stop Savage, but he jumps over them. And another big elbow drop to Bobby Eaton, who's now probably regretting mocking the nature boy. Savage then is handcuffed by Doug Dillinger, but his babyface buddies take him away, so security is handcuffing Randy Savage and then like Jim Duggan and Alex Ryder escorting him out. It was, it was a bit silly there, but other than that, Savage showed good intensity here. I love that they implemented all of this Ric Flair stuff into the match. Yeah, they did a good job of pushing the, the Flair feud uh, in the middle of this match uh, with Eaton doing what he did. Pretty good stuff. It would have been awesome to see these two go at it in 89 or, or just eating in his prime with uh, Savage. That'd have been one hell of a match. So um, I was cool with this one. It wasn't bad, and it, it did what it was supposed to do. It got the job done. Yeah, it's just sad to think. You know, we over the grenade where we're finishing up. We saw Eaton just now wrestling Ric Flair for the World Heavyweight Title on TV, and fast forward just a few years later, and here he is doing a, a four minute job to Randy Savage. Here, it's unfortunate how far down the totem pole Eaton has traveled. And a lot of that, I'm sure, is just due to wear and tear on the craziness that he took in the ring all those years. Yeah, and his look's going to set him back forever. <laughs> it's yeah, unfortunate. Well, that's true. That's well he case, never had but... the best look, but yeah, at this point, yeah. <laughs> Poor Bobby. Yeah. Poor Bobby. 
Tag team title match. Sting and Lex Luger taking on the Giant and Ric Flair come to the ring by Woman and Leather Liz. Ric Flair, on his way down, he sees Deborah McMichael in the crowd again. What is she doing in the crowd? Obviously, angle alert there. Makes no sense. Otherwise, Mongo asks Eric Bischoff to explain to him how the two titles work in this match because Ric Flair is champion and the tag team champions are champion and even Luger's a TV champion. But here, it's just a tag team title match, Steve, this week. And Mongo wants to know how this works. Eric Bischoff responds, real simple. A tag match is for the tag titles. That's how he says it. I might have got a little irritated there with Mongo. I I thought it was kind of funny. Maybe he's thinking of next week, huh? He might be. He may already know the plans. I don't know. (laughs) Sting and Flair start the match. Sting, of course, presses Flair in the air because it wouldn't be a Sting and Flair match if he didn't. The Giant turns his back to the Stinger, and he gets drop-kicked off the apron for that. Can't turn your back on the Stinger, Giant. And then Sting tosses Flair out onto the Giant, but Giant catches Flair and throws him back in the ring, which kind of pisses the Nature Boy off. And now Ric Flair gets pressed again, this time by Lex Luger. Out of the ring, onto the Giant, who catches him again and throws Flair back in the ring again. Flair gets pissed off at the Giant. He runs outside the ring, chops him. I wrote, LOL, it was funny. I thought it was hilarious. Giant keeps, it's almost like a midget comedy spot. Giant's catching him, throwing him back in the ring. Flair's getting beat up. And he runs outside just out of the heat of the moment. He chops the giant and then runs up the aisle away because the giant is not happy with the nature boy. But uh, the heels do finally make up and eventually they get the heat on Lex Luger. We see the figure four leg lock on Lex, uh, but Flair is caught using the ropes and has to break the hold. The giant walks across Lex's chest and Flair up top, but he gets pressed off by the total package. And then we see the hot tag to Sting who goes wild on Ric Flair. The Flair flip into the corner sees Flair knock the cameraman off the apron and then Stinger with a top rope superplex because, again, it wouldn't be a Sting-Flair match if there wasn't a top rope superplex. Sting then goes for the scorpion on the Nature Boy, but the referee gets tied up with Miss Elizabeth and Woman comes in with coffee again. And I guess because coffee is better than a shoe now, Steve. And, of course, Hogan's probably trademarked that at this point, so they can't use the shoe in a non-Hogan match. Lex comes in over to stop Woman from throwing the coffee, but she throws it anyway at Lex Luger. But he ducks, and the coffee hits Sting in the face. Nick Patrick actually sees the coffee throw and calls for the disqualification in 12 minutes and 47 seconds. Did you ever think when you were watching wrestling that it would come to this, a disqualification for throwing coffee? And uh, I'm not mocking the fact that burning hot coffee in your face wouldn't hurt. It's just silly to write these things. Uh, So it's a DQ win for the tag team champions. 12 minutes and 47 seconds before we get to the post-match shenanigans. What was your take on the actual match? The match was pretty good. It's your typical, like, at this point, Flair, all he's doing is taking press slams and suplexes. And nobody's selling anything from him. Like, nobody at all. Sells for Ric Flair, except Randy Savage. Uh, he's the only guy that sells for him. So Flair's your world champion. He looks like a total bitch, no matter who's in the ring, unless it's Macho Man. So uh, it's not very good bur- booking. It's very, very ridiculous. And I, I'm surprised Flair goes for it. I mean, he's just at the point where he doesn't give a shit, it feels no, like. No, and that's that's clear. Um, it's, it's it's Ric Flair's decision, too. But you see a lot of the comedy stuff he works in. Like, he, he wants to be lo- he wants to look yeah. like a jackass. I guess he's just enjoying himself. I, I don't know. I agree with you. It's a, it's weird. See, I know Ric Flair always liked to sell and get guys over, 
But at the end of the day, he never looked weak in doing it. I mean, he, he made up for it and was able to get control. Now it's just like he's relying on the women to do everything. And like, it's just very terrible. And I think I have a note of it for next week. So I'll save it for the next step, like next Nitro that we review in a little bit here. Okay. Uh, before I get to the comment. But um, it's just, it's your typical WCW Nitro main event where there's no finish. There's no nothing. It's just. Let's get four big names in in the ring together so we can pop a rating and beat WWF. That that's their primary focus. It's not to put on a good wrestling show. It's not to get anything over, get anything relevant, or, or do anything of of substance or of importance. It's just to pop a rating. That's that's their whole business, and uh, that's what they want to do, and that's what they care about. And that's another thing that you can chalk down in the book of what causes the company to go out of business. There's no longevity. There's no Continuity. Long-term vision. Long-term booking, it's right. Just, it's just week to week. It's just week to week. What do week to week to pop a rating? And that's no way to run a wrestling company. And after the match, of course, Sting gets the coffee in the face, and Lex Luger bends down to check on him. So the Giant is in the ring, and it's a choke slam to Lex Luger, and a choke slam to Sting. And unlike Hulk Hogan, they stay down. Again, that was my big problem here. As Ric Flair covers both Sting and Luger, and... Gets mock three counts on both guys. He's beaten both guys here now, at least according to Flair's mind. And so that was my big issue here. The takeaway here was, so if he chokeslams Hulk Hogan, okay, doesn't do anything. But Sting and Luger, who are now basically, your de- besides Savage, your de facto main eventers, it kills them. So I-, I didn't like that at all. I thought that made them look like bitches, especially with Hogan knowing he's, on, he's out. He's gone. Like, it was unnecessary. And I agree with you earlier. It made no sense. It felt like Hogan came in that day. And wrote him wrote that little giant spot into what if he came out too, brother? Let's just do that too. The only the only thing I can say about the choke slams on these two is they just went through a thirteen minute match, <laughs> whereas Hogan didn't take anything. So I guess you can chalk it up to that for why they're selling it. It's the end of a long match, and then they got their ass kicked. Plus, uh, Sting's recovering from some coffee, man. You know how dangerous that is. That could be, yeah. I, me and my cousins and my brother, we always, we always made fun of that growing up, the old salt to the eyes. You ever you remember those those days where somebody would take salt to the eyes, take the back bump, and then they'd be knocked out cold instead of selling the fucking eyes? It happened all the time. The powder of the yeah. face. Yeah. Oh, anybody. Yeah. Everybody. It wasn't just one guy. Everybody did it. That and, <laughs> that and when the dude comes off the top rope, the partner comes off the top rope and hits like a double axe handle, they're dead. That's it. <laughs> And they get beat. It's just, uh, it's just, it's one of those things you just chalk up to wrestling. And then, uh, of course, we close this show comedy, quote unquote comedy, ensues when Bobby Heenan gets himself handcuffed. A little bit of revenge for his April Fool's joke, I suppose. Here, let's see what Demeltz had to say about the Hulkster here on his final night with the company for a few months. Demeltz says, coming off the April first show where Hogan and the Booty Man were booed out of Cleveland, Ohio, the talks once again surfaced to turn the Hulkster heel. Hmm. Hogan sent word that he had a movie deal that would take him out of action until August and plans were made for him to do the serious injury angle on tonight's April 15th show and for him to be written out of plans. Well, that makes sense. That's how you do things in wrestling. There was a lot of internal belief that using him every Monday night was a situation that would turn into diminishing or lack of returns and to use him on occasion as a special feature instead, which would have been a good idea. Anyway, Hogan came into the show at the 11th hour and changed his mind. There would be no more injury angle, and he decided against it 
Instead, not only would he win a handicap match, but then he would pop up from a giant choke slam and then slam the giant and ran him off as well. This only served to make Sting and Lex Luger look that much weaker since later in the show they had to take the giant's choke slam and lay there for several minutes. So I kind of agree with DeMeltz here this week. And uh, once again, Hulk Hogan agreeing to whatever you tell him until he gets to the, sto- the show and he changes the, rewrites the entire script. He was Vince McMahon before Vince McMahon was cool. <laughs> That's where Vince got it from. I mean, I don't, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's ridiculous, but at least we don't have to worry about it no more. At least <laughs> for, for a while. A months. And it'll be different too when he gets back. It'll be completely different. Uh, although he will be all over the TV, but it'll be different. Segment for a, bit, of, anyway. for a little bit, yeah. I was gonna say segment of the night, Steve. <laughs> was it the asshole Hogan one last time? A big middle finger to WCW corporate, the fans, and the wrestlers in general. Was it the street fight match, which you already said you weren't a big fan of? Uh, I think I think you're probably leaning towards the main event tag team title match, or just watching Randy Savage and and Bobby Eaton out there for a few minutes. I'm gonna go with the main event. It was a good match. The ending. And I guess the ending was needed to get the Giant back over at the expense of Luger and Sting. So I thought they did a good job of that. And if, like I said, if you just ignore what Hogan did and take just act like it never happened, I know it's hard to do that because you see it. But at the end of the day, if you just take it all out and just ignore it, it, it makes sense. And the Giant was fine to me. I mean, he hasn't been booked worth his shit anyway, to be honest. I mean, you have a dude coming out there where talking about getting his uh, feelings and his emotions uh, worked over by Hogan like that. It's hard for me to get that out of my mind. A big seven foot four guy talking about his feelings and emotions. I know they had, he has them obviously, but I don't care to hear that shit. That, well, he was supposed to be a monster. Me, anyway. A monster has, has no feelings or at least we're not, we're not exactly. We, we don't perceive them too. I think that promo did it for me as well with the giant, but also seeing him there typing on CompuServe and raising his eyebrows to the fans questions. Yeah. That was a little, I was, uh, I don't know who I can booked see that segment, like but jeez, oh man. I can see if he was built up as this unbeatable monster, and um, like if 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 they did nothing to him, like we've seen after Halloween Havoc, I, I would have I'd have been upset. Like, okay, this is ridiculous. You killed this guy, but he's been looked like shit ever since. So, <laughs> I mean, that's what happens when you're with Hogan. He's doing the complete opposite of how you get a big monster over. I mean, Earthquake looked like a million bucks after the Brother Love show, and. Uh, they got a nice little run out of it. This one, like he's not, he's totally forgotten what works. The giant is the one that is paying for it, which is unfortunate. Well, at least uh, things are on the upswing for the giant moving forward, at least for the short term. And I'm going to go with you. I think, but de facto uh, uh, segment that has to be the world tag team title match at the end of the show. I didn't really care for much of the rest of the show. It was either just there or it was Hulk Hogan. <laughs> so I, I absolutely had to go with the, Tag team title match as well. There was enough there that resembled a wrestling match that I was okay with it. And I liked the the fun stuff with between Flair and the Giant, the, the comedy spot, and just it was okay. As we move on to WWF news and Gold Dust. It's reported that Dustin Reynolds suffered a torn MCL in his knee on April 13th in Dusseldorf, Germany, in a match against Razor Ramon and was rushed to Birmingham, Alabama to be examined by the world renowned orthopedic Dr. James Andrews. Andrews said, the injury couldn't be fixed through arthroscopic surgery, but was such that Runnels could rehabilitate without undergoing major surgery. That would keep him out of action for several months. Goldust is expected to work the pay-per-view match, however, although he won't be at 100% and will have to baby his knee for a while. He's expected to take some time off. How much isn't exactly clear. 
after the pay-per-view match so that while he may do angles at the TV tapings, he isn't expected to wrestle at the TV tapings upcoming anyway. So Goldust now suffers an injury. Big, big bummer there as he's coming off that Roddy Piper match at WrestleMania. I felt like they could have really capitalized something more with him here. And of course, we know what we get with that Warrior match when we get to the pay-per-view. <laughs> Not looking forward to that, but yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, he was st- finally starting to get over to a whole new level and injuries, man. I guess the it's good life, news, right? The good news here is they taped all these Raws back on April 1st before the injury, so we get a ton of gold dust right now. We don't realize he's out yet anyway. Yeah, that's good. You get some really good gold dust. <laughs> uh, just some real quick news and notes here. Billy Gunn, who's been out since the beginning of the year, he'll return in mid-May from his knee injury. We learned that Sable is actually Rena Marrow, the wife of the wild man, Mark Marrow. Mr. Perfect reportedly returning to wrestle later this year versus Shawn Michaels. Of course, that doesn't happen, so I won't tease you guys for very long there. Also, Bam Bam Bigelow is upset with the WWF, claiming he was promised an unconditional release, provided he put Goldust over at Survivor Series. But then when he got his release, it was conditional on him not working for WCW, which is where he was hoping to go. He's contractually free to go anywhere but WCW until October. So Bammer getting screwed there by the WWF on the way out the door. Also, on the April 15th show in Memphis, which happened in the Mid-South Coliseum the same night as this Raw, it saw a boost of nearly 1,200 extra fans uh, with Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett doing a 60-minute draw for the Unified World title in Jarrett's first match back since being out a few months after a serious back injury at the hands of Ahmed Johnson. So Jarrett is back. That's why I noted this here, but he's not back with the WWF. And as far as stories regarding Brian Christopher and the WWF, and I'd always pondered this myself, Steve, when I watched Brian, obviously he was all over the aftermax too in the early nineties, but I got to see a lot of Brian. I, I started getting the USWA again in 94, saw him all through 95. Here we are in 96. And I asked myself all the time, he was one of the best workers down there in, in Memphis. Why is he not getting called? Why is he not getting a job with the WWF? And then I would always tell myself, well, he's, he's small. And that's probably why. And it probably was why. But it's kind of funny here because DeMeltz knows that Christopher is actually under contract to the WWF and has been since late 94. Think about how long it was before Brian actually finally pops up in the WWF. So they were wise enough to keep him under contract, but also... They knew they had nothing for him, but they kept him from jumping to WCW or wherever else he may have went. Uh, WWE has no imminent plans for Brian at this time, although he is under contract. I thought that was interesting. I'd never, never heard that before. So uh, I wanted to note that Brian Christopher under contract here all the way, apparently going back to 94. Yeah, quite the run. If you think about it. Like from 94 all the way till he ended, whenever that was. But yeah, um, I can't imagine what the yeah, guarantees were. It came to that and- <laughs> back in those, the bad days. But yeah. Vince, Vince right. uh, locked yeah, him up. I mean, that was way before Nitro, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it was nice back in the day. You know, you had the Smoky Mountain, and you got on your good side with uh, Cornette, so you got those guys. Um, he's always buddy-buddy with Paul Lee and taking his ideas and probably paying him money and taking some of his guys but not, like, totally killing him like Bischoff tries to do. So he had that talent pool. And then, obviously, with Lawler, he had Memphis stuff. So Vince was smart. As far as getting uh, little little companies to be a minor league system for him, so to it speak. It is funny how many of these talent. how many of these last surviving I don't know you want to call them territories, but indies indies the higher up indies were working with Vince. 
Uh, Smoky Mountain and USW are not so much behind the scenes. Obviously, they were trading talent, doing crossover shows and things like that. But ECW, we didn't learn until years later that Paul E. was on uh, Vince's payroll. I can't remember what Jim Ross, the figure Jim Ross gave on his podcast recently, how much Paul E. was getting paid per month just to keep ECW afloat. It was, it was insane. And Vince was just, here you go. Keep running your shows, Paul. It's, uh, it's crazy. As we kick Probably off, he wanted this, to go to WCW. Well, no, he <laughs> wanted to keep them afloat. He wanted to keep that uh, gravy train going. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, if <laughs> the pay scale got too big and Paulie had to call it quits, as everyone knows, and Vince bought him out, took all that. As of we course. kick off WWF Monday Night Raw for April fifteenth, taped back on the first of April, back in San Bernardino after the last pay per view. Now the new start time, Steve, eight fifty seven. And we get the intro with the tornado, and now it's changed from that gray to an, a red or an orange, whatever the hell you want to call this color. So they've changed their opening logo again as we head to the ring with Wildman Mark Marrow, now accompanied by Sable. And this is the match we were kind of hinting at when, when we were talking about who would we have put him in his debut match against instead of Isaac Yankum, a seven-foot guy. We both kind of pondered maybe Leaf Cassidy uh, or Marty Jannetty. And here we get Mark Marrow taking on Leaf Cassidy with Marty Jannetty. And it's back and forth early on in the ring. World tour of arm drags here is Mero with the Mexican arm drag, the Japanese arm drag, and the good old-fashioned American arm drag. All on Al Snow. Cassidy, though, with the flare flip in the corner. He ducks Mero's shit but sticks his tongue out and eats a jab off the apron. Fun little comedy spot with the comedian Leaf Cassidy character. Double noggin knocker on the goofy rockers outside. And as the match continues on, Marrow chases Leaf around ringside and runs right into a clothesline from Marty Jannetty. Leaf then celebrates by dancing instead of wrestling. Commercial break and back and Leaf with Marrow's own somersault plancha to the floor. I thought that was a bit of a problem there. That is Marrow, one of Marrow's hot spot moves. I mean, and here it is, Al Snow doing the move to Marrow in the middle of the match. I don't know who called that or who thought that was a good idea. But Al Snow with the baseball slide and then a, a full Nelson? Very weird to see Leaf Cassidy go into a full Nelson here. Mero does slide out into a carousel head scissors is what they call it. And now Mero with his own somersault plancha to the floor. And back inside, it's the top rope flying sunset flip. Mero picks up another win, 6 minutes, 45 seconds. And I don't think Cassidy really screwed up this week. Yeah, no battle royal to get the ropes all slick, I guess. But, um... Now, Mark Merrill looked really good. I didn't realize how tall he was. You know, when you have all that shit hanging off your boots like he did in WCW from Johnny B. Bad, like he didn't look as tall as he was. But when he's just wearing basic tights and some wrestling boots with nothing on him, he looks really tall. He had some great offense. He looked good. He's still, it's crazy, he's still progressing and doing more things and, and pushing the envelope forward a little bit with his character and his, um, his moveset. Like that carousel uh, head scissors, that was really cool. It was different for the time, and look, he he pulled it off really well. And uh, this is this is what we needed from to see from him. Somebody like Leaf Cassidy in there with him uh, definitely helped. All in all, really solid match here. Yeah, I'd argue this should have been the original opponent or Marty. It would have made sense to do that back to back match with Leaf, match with Marty, kind of keep growing up, going up the uh, the ladder there. But I digress yep. as we continue on with the show. Diesel is on the phone. He's coming, calling from Germany. He reiterates attacking Shawn Michaels at Madison Square Garden, and they even recap last week's attack where Diesel and Mr. Perfect teamed up to take out Shawn Michaels following Shawn's win over Jerry Lawler. We now learn the match between Shawn and Diesel at In Your House will be no holds barred. Looking forward to covering that show. 
on patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. All of our watch-alongs are there, guys. You can go check it out, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. $5 for the all-access tier in all of the watch-along series. WrestleMania will be up soon. We've got Uncensored already up there, and this In Your House is on the way as well. It's going to be a fun one. I haven't really seen this in quite a long time, and I remember enjoying at least at least the main event. I don't remember everything else on that show yet, but it's it should be fun. Yeah, it's one of the better In Your Houses, if I remember right. Show continues on with Stone Cold Steve Austin, accompanied the ring by Ted DiBiase, taking on Bart Gunn. Of course, Billy Gunn's still out. We go back in time. We see a clip from Superstars where the Caribbean kid pinned Steve Austin. Of course, the Caribbean kid unmasked to be Savio Vega. This match starts out very basic match. Austin pulls both of them over the top rope. They take a bump to the floor. It's an unnecessary spot for a guy who has knee issues. I thought with Austin kind of pulling, taking a backwards bump out of the ring with Bart Gunn, and they go into the commercial break. Coming back, it's back inside with Stone Cold in control. Bart Gunn manages to escape a chin lock, but Austin gets up high for a backdrop and Bart with the bulldog. And I thought, whoa, this is close here. Near fall, Austin barely kicks out before the three count off of Bart's bulldog. Bart Gunn back on top, but he slips and luckily lands on the middle rope. Did you see that? He tried to jump up to the top rope for the uh, reverse body block, but his feet slipped, but he somehow managed to land on the middle rope. Good cover and very lucky there by Bart Gunn. Yeah, it looks like he almost overshot the top rope and went down to the middle rope, and like you said, he got lucky. Uh, very he lucky. He was able to hold on. And, <laughs> and he never really flinched. He just kind of kept going through the, oh. the move. So good for Bart there. Yeah, it looked good. DiBiase winds up tripping Bart Gunn up, and Bart leans through the ropes to grab at Ted DiBiase and Steve Austin from behind with the straddle leg drop, drops Bart Gunn across the rope. Bart comes back and locks in a sleeper hold, and Austin counters with what may be the very first Stone Cold Stunner, I believe here. as I just recently read a, from a, an interview Savio Vega did. He talks about during this feud, uh, Austin was trying this move out at all the house shows with Savio, trying to get it right. And this felt like a very early inception of the stunner. Uh, of course, it didn't look very pretty here, but it's what I got out of his Bart locked in the sleeper, Austin with the stunner. Did you think it was a stunner? Or? It looked like a drop-down jawbreaker, like a lot of people use to get out of sleeper holds and things like that, but it wasn't necessarily right on his head. It was more to the side, so yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I actually, I was wondering that myself. That's, I went back and watched it like two or three times. I was trying to get a, a better look at it, but I thought that was just the early inception of the, the stunner there. That was interesting. But that wasn't the finisher yet because Austin locks Bart Gunn into the million-dollar dream, picks up the ma- uh, win in nine and a half minutes. I wrote, eh, the, the match was there. It wasn't bad. Was this the show where Lawler said that Lawler said that DiBiase's offering a million dollars for anybody to get out of the million-dollar dream <laughs> with Austin putting it on? So I wonder if that's what something they had in mind to do, but um, I'm not 100% sure on that. But uh, he did Lucky. mention that. But this match was okay. I mean, I wasn't expecting much with Bart Gunn. He showed me a, more than what I expected, and uh, it was okay. It probably went a little too long, longer than it needed to do, but right. uh, it wasn't horrible. Yeah, I think that's uh, easily at this point Vince's inception of uh, our perception of uh, tag team wrestlers in singles matches that they're not going to win against a, a singles wrestler. You already know that going in. So I did. Th- I was really surprised that Bart went as long as he did there. I guess they just needed to kill some time, I suppose. Vince McMahon to the ring for a promo with Jim Cornette and Vader. Cornette talks Gorilla Monsoon, says he's a legend, a Hall of Famer, a WWE president, but he stepped into the danger zone. 
Then there was Yokozuna, a 650-pound monster, former two-time WWF champion, left a blithering, whining shell of a man when Vader broke his leg. And now there's Razor Ramon is the next man up at the In Your House pay-per-view. Cornette sees the career of Razor taking a downward spiral after In Your House. Shoot. He will soon cease to exist. Mm -hmm. Yes, Razor Ramon will soon cease to exist. Again, Corny, we saw that that a lot in 89, too, doing those shoot comments in the kayfabe world there. Corny says that he's made some very bad career choices, meaning Scott Hall once again, by signing a contract. I thought, LOL. Of course, here Cornette's referring to (laughs) the contract to Russell Vader, not signing with WCW. Cornette says that Razor will never forget the WWF assigned him Vader. When Vader is done with the bad guy, Razor will be at Aunt B's in Mayberry in a quilting bee. And here's the funny part about that, obviously shooting on the Andy Griffith show, which was one of the big shows that made TBS back in the day. So again, Cornette with a lot of jabs at WCW, Turner, Razor making the jump. And even Cornette says he can't control Vader. And it's Vader time against the bad guy here at the In Your House pay-per-view. I'm sure you picked up on all these lines Cornette was was coming up with here. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, he did a great job putting Vader over, obviously, the shots to Hall uh, about jumping ship and things like that. So Cornette was always uh, one of the best at doing that, if not the best, at getting those uh, subtle shoot comments in, with, but keeping it kayfabe. And uh, this was no different, just... Just an excellent promo. I thought it was great. And if you hadn't noticed by now, they're trying to get Sunny over as her own entity, even though she is the manager of the Body Donnas. And so we've come up with the old 1966 Bobby Hebb Sunny song with a Sunny video. I wrote, oh yeah, and thank you. I had forgotten how awesome this video was. I idolized this video as a teenager, Steve. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Uh, she looks excellent in this video. This is the Sonny we all love and know. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail. It's just unfortunate <laughs> she is who she is. <laughs> Shout out to Sonny out there in whatever penitentiary she's hanging out in during this COVID world as we, we <laughs> continue uh, the show. Shout with, out to all her OnlyFans fans, I guess. Yes, OnlyFans <laughs> for you. Old. Not for me. <laughs> Intercontinental <laughs> champion Goldust to the ring. We know he's not injured, but of course this was taped before that, so this is why we don't really realize that he's injured. He's working here against Savio Vega. And before the match can start, Goldust licks the belt. You know, some guys like Bret Hart like to kiss the belt. Goldust licks the belt here, Steve. And he starts the match off with a go behind on Savio and then begins to feel all over Vega. It was hilarious. Savio then gets angry. He controls the match, but he spanks Goldust. And Vega with the 10 punches in the corner as he mounts Goldust. It's kind of Hard to see where Goldust's mouth is during this, this positioning, but Goldust counters with a hot shot on Savio and takes over the seated chin lock and then randomly releases the hold and asks for the microphone. He tells the fans to shut up or he will come out there and kiss each and every one of them. I felt like this is uh, maybe an ad lib. Maybe the crowd was kind of dead and he was trying to work them back up. Vega makes the comeback with a crossbody and gets a near fall. Goldust right back on top. And then he squats his balls over Savio's face because he's gold dust. Vega turns it into a sunset flip, though. So that was a nice counter out of the uh, goofiness there of the gold dust spot. Gold dust comes back again with a flying lariat and then goes to the top rope. But Vega crotches him. Surprised gold dust didn't sell that like he liked it as well. Savio then super kicks gold dust, who's sitting on the top rope. 
<laughs> they do the yeah. It was Savio's reach with his feet are just crazy. It's always been insane. Oh man. Yeah, it's it, it looks awesome. He's done that like repeatedly, but this yeah, I, I had to I had to double I had to rewind and be like, did he really just do that? Like, it wasn't like a spin kick, right? It was like a straight super super kick, kick. He's, right? He was yeah. up on the sitting on the top rope. The reach and like, the Lord. flexibility of Savio, it never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, he's something else. Vega goes up for a superplex, but Goldust actually kisses Savio. Vince says, oh, he's biting him. But we know better, Vince. We see what's happening there. As Goldust then shoves Vega off the ropes, but Goldust goes face first into a foot from Vega, and Vega makes another comeback 10 minutes into the match. And we're headed to a commercial. Back from break, Goldust does a drop down, and Savio crashes into referee Earl Hebner. Marlena gives Goldie the Intercontinental title belt, but Savio with a super kick and takes the belt and nails Goldust with it. Savio makes the cover. One, two, three. Yes, he got him. Yes, he got him. He got him, Steve. New Intercontinental Champion Savio Vega in 12 minutes. But asshole referee Tim White, who is tending to Earl Hebner, tells him that Savio cheated. Fuck you, Tim White. Where are you any other week when this shit goes down? Earl Hebner raises Savio's hand. Now, he's the referee on duty. He's the referee on call. Earl Hebner raises Savio's hand. But White goes over and raises Goldust's hand. They may, maybe they got something going on backstage, Steve. Who the fuck are you, Tim White, to come out here during another referee's match and try to overrule him? You're not even the senior official, bitch. Gorilla Monsoon then makes his return to Monday Night Raw and talks with the Fink, who announces that Goldust is being stripped of the Intercontinental title. But Savio Vega is also not the champion. The title has been vacated. As the crowd boos loudly, there will be a rematch next week to determine the Intercontinental champion. Yeah, this is a really good match. I felt like uh, Savio and Goldust just worked perfect together. Um, I guess you could say that about a lot of guys with uh, Savio, because he's so damn good. His That Latin temper... And going against that gold dust character, uh, it's just perfect, man. It, it worked well, and they, these guys did excellent together. It was a really, really good match. I'm looking forward to the rematch. It's just some, it's it makes you wonder too, since they stripped him of the belt for this angle or whatever, just to get to the next nat- week or whatever. It makes you wonder if they knew he was hurt, if they would have done it a little differently, maybe given Savio a little bit of a run or or something, do something different. But right. um, who knows? No, this is a really good match. I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely a, a good one. Uh, no shocker there. Savio is always getting good matches out of everyone. Not that not that Dustin can't work, but with the Goldust character, it takes a special kind of guy to to put on a really good match. And and Savio did a really good job here with Goldust and working that Goldust character in. They both did a really good job here. Oh yeah, we Savio go back. Is criminally underrated, man. Absolutely, he is I've said so that. Damn underrated. I said that when he was there. Oh my god. Yeah, he was. I, yeah. I never understood why he never cracked that. That next level, that intercontinental title run, I just I never understood it. Uh, With the guys there, I uh, guess you can only pull the trigger on who you can pull the trigger on. One guy can only be champion at a time, I suppose. Yeah, and it's not like it is now, where it's just like a participation trophy. You've been there long enough, you'll get it. I, I think like I don't. Tatanka is probably tooting his own horn a little bit when I was listening to him the other day, but he he's like when you're when you have a character that's over, you don't need the title necessarily. It's like Savio to me felt like I felt like he was always over. He was always he always put on so good such good matches that he was always over to the point where it's like, damn, you don't even need the title. It'd be nice if he had it because he's good and he deserves it. But at the same time, 
he's going out there putting on bankers and losing every week, and it, people don't even really care. Like they just buy into it because Savio's that dang good. Yeah, he, um, he really is. So, so like he, yeah, it'd have been nice if he got a little bit of a run with the IC title, but did he really need it? I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily think so. We we continue on with the episode of Raw. We actually see exclusive behind the scenes footage from WrestleMania 12 of Bret Hart backstage after losing the title. He tells the cameras to get out of his dressing room and actually leaves the arena in his gear, peels out in his car, and he's gone. Like a thief in the night. Bret Hart promo then from Germany, Steve. It's a actually a forced promo. Notes demelts to quell rumors of Bret Hart going to WCW. Vince was so worried about rumors of Bret Hart going to WCW that he actually forced Bret to cut this promo because Bret was basically supposed to be gone completely off TV anyway. After WrestleMania, of course, he agreed to go do the big Germany tour after the pay-per-view because he was such a big star there in Germany, and then he was going to go off to Hollywood or whatever he was going to go do, but he had to cut this promo because Vince was worried about the rumors. He wanted Brett, Brett to quell those rumors here. As Brett begins his bitching, I wrote, I think this is the first bitching Brett promo. He was told the match was 60 minutes, not 62. It's an Iron Man match for 60 minutes. It goes 62, of course, we know. And Shawn Michaels, in overtime, sudden death, if you will, gets the world title from the Hitman. Brett said he beat Shawn Michaels in his eyes because he lasted the full 60 minutes. They rang the bell, which saved Shawn Michaels from the sharpshooter, who, which he was applied in when the, when the time or the initial time ran out. The restart delay then caused Brett to make his mistake when he got overheated. He was angry that they forced him to restart the match. Brett makes sure to mention he's not going to a certain wrestling organization. Brett said he's not greedy for money, but rather respect. I do believe that, Steve. He feels betrayed every time he loses the title. I wonder why. He feels less and less like coming back, but he'd love a title shot tomorrow. What did you make of it? Uh, I'll defend my guy here. I don't care. He made sense. If you're going to go over sudden death, why not just continue the match? Why, why stop it? I mean, basically, like, it's kind of like, I don't even really know of, a, of an analogy to even go with it, but it, it makes sense in the in the fact that these, these details should have been hammered out ahead of time. I know it's a work, but why are you going to stop the match right in the middle of a, of a finishing hole just to restart it two minutes later and say we're going back at it? Like, that doesn't seem fair. You should just let it go. If you're going to do that, just might as well just let it go. But it is what it is. I don't really care. I don't take it that serious. Like, Bret Hart, he makes sense to me. And I kind of like what he's saying. <laughs> he's shit all over WCW in this promo. Um, yeah. And, and that's really, even though, he uses, even though he uses promo to uh, utilize this promo to really get over, you know, the story, which I thought he did a really good job with. They made sure smack dab in the middle of this promo out of nowhere to say he's not going to WCW. Yeah, it was like uh, I could never. He could never see himself working for another company because he would see it as a step down. Uh, he's not greedy for money, but respect. And the only place he's going to get respect is in the WWF. Uh, clearly, just insinuating that WWF's the big time, WCW's second rate, and he never wants to work for them. And it's funny too. He's like he says the part of him feels less and less coming back. And obviously, the part about being portrayed every time he lost the title. He lost the belt in 93 to Hogan, and he felt betrayed there because they thought they was done with all that stupid shit. I don't necessarily... Is this the second time he's had it? No, no, this is the third time. Yeah, he lost to Backlund to get it to Diesel, so I don't know the betrayal there. I don't... It's 
it's, it seems like Vince gave up on him, saying little guys ain't going to work, so we got to get it over to this next big monster and let him carry it as the face of the company. Uh, so I can see in his mind where he feels betrayed as he seems like he probably feels like he's a transition champion, even though he's not necessarily. He's going to hold the belt whenever they need him to until they can get it to the next big baby face that comes through. So I can see where he's coming from. But is it whiny Brett? Yeah, it's definitely whiny Brett. It's bitchy Brett. And um, it seems like bitter old man Brett. <laughs> I think it's I think it's the birth of the whiny hitman. I think is the character here. Of course, he's off TV okay. after this for quite a while. No, I'm fine with that. I mean, it leads to something big here by next WrestleMania. Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's just planting the seeds. I don't know if it's on purpose, but uh, it's just Brett being Brett, and they finally utilized it to its advantage instead of forcing something that's not necessarily there. Segment so. of the night, Steve. Uh, I got it narrowed down for myself to Gold Dust versus Savio Vega or the Sunny video for other reasons. <laughs> uh, it's definitely Savio and Gold Dust. Um, is is a really good match. Like like I said, that Latin temper of Savio going against Gold Dust and those shenanigans was just excellent. Uh, you knew it was going to play well off of each other, and because Savio's a pro's pro, and his whole gimmick ever since he's came in was that temper. And just just going off and getting that crowd behind him, and that's exactly what happened. And this is rough it down. Uh, he's criminally underrated, man. It's it's such an unfortunate uh, situation where he's not necessarily getting the credit he deserves. I'm glad he's popping up on some of these interviews now. I don't know if it was just because he was in town for the Undertaker stuff. So they, hey, you're here. Let's get a couple interviews out of you for like some of these shows that they're putting on the network and and things like that. So it's cool that he's being involved or put in. I know he's in that uh, meeting Stone Cold video, which is really good. Um, and I think he's on some Undertaker stuff. So uh, I, I really, really enjoy his work. Again, it's just unfortunate people forget how good he is. Yeah. And when I first think of Goldust, even though he's been with the company now about six months, the first things that always came to my mind whenever I thought of the Goldust character was the character building. Obviously, the Razor stuff and then Savio's, his matches with Savio. All of those little gimmicks in between, those things they worked into the match. And a lot of those were reportedly Savio's idea. Hey, why don't you do this when you go behind me? These Goldust's like, are you sure? Yeah, this is do this. And, and so reportedly Savio came up with some of these spots. And I thought, you know, like, like we say, he's always guaranteed to give a good match out there. So that's definitely my segment of the night here in 2021. Now, 1996, I would have told you that sunny video all day long. But that's, that's another story for <laughs> a completely different reason. And you know what that means. The ratings are in, and with no Nitro last week, the momentum carried through for the WWF here on April 15th when a stronger Raw show started evenly but eventually pulled away in the second half hour to beat out WCW Nitro with a 3.1 rating and a 4.6 share to Nitro's 2.8 rating and 4.3 share. Both shows tried to get the jump on each other this week. WCW starting at 8.56 and immediately putting a Hulk Hogan match on TV while WWF, of course, started a minute later at 8.57. It's new scheduled permanent starting times for both companies. <laughs> Jesus. The real winner here this week, Steve, is it uh, Nitro or Raw? Uh, before I answer that, I have a quick question. So if yeah. they start early, do is there, are they just trying to get a ratings jump in that last three minutes of the hour, the previous hour, uh, the ratings jump, the, the, the ratings jump would be the run over. Uh, this is being done just because 
this is the pettiness of it. Uh, the runover would be your ratings jump. This is not a ratings jump. This is, I'm going to start a minute before you, hoping that if I start off hot in this first minute, they're not going to change the channel. That's what this is, and that's why this is so fucking petty. This is stupid. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, the better show is definitely Raw. Um, yeah, agreed. They did a good job of uh, showcasing the new talent. You know, Marrow, Goldust. I know he's been around for a while, but this is like the new gimmick, Goldust, where he's actually working. He's the IC champion. Steve Austin had a decent match with uh, Bart Gunn. And uh, it was just a really good show, top to bottom, full of action. That made sense. Guys that won that needed to win. You you uh, established a match for next week uh, with the, with an angle there, and I want to see more of Mark Merrow. Sable's easy on the eyes for sure, so nice having her around, and um, I want to see more Mark Merrow. So excellent job compared to Nitro, which was just a cluster and shit. And as we conclude there, I agree with you. Like I just said, uh, Raw was a better show. I think Savio versus Goldust just that was it to me. Like that sold it for me. It yeah. was just one good match that really made the difference for me this week. As we continue on to the next week, but before we do, it's more Brian Pillman news. Pillman is reportedly released from University Hospital in Cincinnati on April 19th after rolling his Hummer four nights earlier and suffering numerous injuries, the most serious of which was a crushed ankle, as we know, Steve. When the police and medics found Pillman Monday night, moments after taking a 40-foot fall from being ejected from his vehicle, which rolled, he had lost so much blood that those who found him believed he wasn't going to make it. His face was so swollen early in the week that even his own sister couldn't have identified him, and there was initial fear the fall could have done damage to his spinal cord and possibly crippled Brian Pillman. He was in the burns unit at the hospital early in the week and originally in intensive care, although his condition was quickly upgraded by the end of the week after surgery, which included taking bones from his hip to reconstruct his ankle, unfortunately. He was told that the long-term prognosis was good, and that the injury shouldn't be serious enough to threaten his wrestling career. I don't know how having a shattered ankle would not threaten your wrestling career. He was allowed to go home from the hospital for the weekend. Insane. Pillman, who had undergone his 34th road operation just a few weeks earlier, related to a throat condition as a young kid, now finds himself out again with a severe injury. The surgery included having his jaw wired shut for approximately one week after the surgery there after the accident. Pillman, who was wearing a Heavy Harley biker jacket was ejected, believed the thickness of the jacket saved him from more serious injuries as the jacket itself was torn to shreds. He also felt fortunate the injuries weren't worse and that for whatever reason, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt at the time he rolled the Hummer after striking a tree stump in a field on the side of Kentucky Route 338 near his home. The vehicle was destroyed and he was told by police that had he not had he been wearing a seatbelt, he would have been crushed inside the Hummer. So it's just another situation. You've heard that before. Remember Eddie Guerrero's accident. Had he not been ejected, they say he may have may have lost his life as well way back when. Doctors told Pillman that it will be eight weeks before he can start rehabbing the ankle and perhaps another month after that before he can get back in the ring. The accident occurred two days before Pillman's contract with WCW believed to be in around $225,000 per year was to expire. If Shark's getting two fifty, there's no doubt that had Pillman not been injured here, he could have got a little more than two twenty five. Pillman has had informal talks since the accident with both WWF and WCW, and the injury doesn't appear to be nearly the hindrance in getting a new deal as first thought, since it appears both groups believe Brian Pillman's strength in the wrestling ring right now is his persona and not really his wrestling anyway. Uh, yeah, lucky, lucky, lucky individual. Um, it's crazy to think they say, oh, wear your seatbelt, wear your seatbelt. And you should wear your seatbelt. I'm not telling anybody not to, but uh, sometimes in situations where 
they're that bad. I mean, they're just as dangerous as anything else. So um, crazy. It seems like the lucky stars was looking over him at that point, you know, with the jacket, not wearing a seatbelt. It seems like a lot of things went in his favor that in that situation to uh, save his life. Well, I don't know how you can survive that. It sounds rough. And when you see him sign his contract with Vince, like on the press conference, it looks like he went through nothing. Like his face was fine. You didn't see any scars or anything. He he looks like Pillman. So it's it's crazy how bad it sounds on paper (laughs) compared to what we see going forward. Pretty intense. And we're going to continue on with the April 22nd edition of WCW Monday Nitro in Albany, Georgia. For 6,500 fans, that's 3,800 paying. It's the first Nitro of the post-Hogan era. At least, albeit briefly, but it's, I'll take it. I'll definitely take it, Steve. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I've been waiting for this for a long time. <laughs> You've been talking uh, about this for I'm months. I'm a Hogan fan. <laughs> I'm a Hogan fan, but Nitro is brutal with Hulk Hogan. Hulkamania Hulk Hogan, anyway. I'll say that. As the show gets going, it's Pepe with Mongo. He has googly eyes popping out and Dracula cape. I don't know what the fuck's going on here. As the show kicks off, it's Public Enemy in the ring. How do these guys get so many Nitro matches? They're taking on the American males. But before the match can get going, Eric Bischoff is back to his old shenanigans again, Steve. He gives away the results to Monday Night Raw. We are not like the World Whining Federation, which is a tape can show. Happened a couple of weeks ago. Let me save you some time. Put your remote control down. The RuPaul impersonator, the transvestite gold dust, defeats Savio Vega, regains the intercontinental title, title Yawn. Mankind defeats Aldo Montoya, bigger yawn, and Vader defeats Fatu. Oh boy. But we are live. Anything can happen, and it may happen tonight in the main event. Old Uncle Eric back to his old ways again here. <laughs> yeah he lost the ratings and vince you know he had a hot rating when they were off tv and uh then they carried that over and won again so back to the old tricks you know and let's not forget there was a match going on in the ring when bischoff really put over that wcw is live which is kind of funny because next week it's not live but he's selling it like nitro's live every week and raw is taped but you never hear vince give away their finishes and anyway, in the ring, it's Public Enemy who attack the American males here in our opening match, and they but the males wind up clearing the ring and Bagwell and Riggs with planches out to the floor on Public Enemy. Bischoff even makes it a point to say hello to Brian Pillman after that near fatal accident here on commentary. So uh, clearly, you can see how serious this was. Eric Bischoff breaking Pillman's character basically for him by saying hello to him and wishing him well on commentary. As the match continues on, decent American males double team moves here. Much better than the dynamic dudes, anyway. Bagwell has really peaked here, I thought. Offensively, in the ring, he's looked the best he's ever looked in his career up until this point. And pr- probably beyond as well, because we all know once he joins the NWO, it's all downhill from there in the ring, anyway. Public Enemy take mm-hmm. over, and they get the offense and the heat on Bagwell. Rocco Rock with a lion salt. And then Rocco misses the drive-by. That's the somersault senton from the top rope. And hot tag, Bagwell to Scotty Riggs. Rocco backdrops Bagwell out of the ring. But apparently that's okay this week. But then they throw Riggs over the top, and that's not okay, Steve. That is a disqualification. I wrote, okay. So if you backdrop a guy out of the ring, that's cool. If you grab the guy and just pitch him out, that's not cool. And there's a DQ here. The American males even defeat Public Enemy. 
seven minutes and 23 seconds. And again, it's the public enemy sandwich. Both guys put Scotty Riggs through the table on the floor after the match. And the public enemy, again, completely out of their element here this week. Terrible wrestling match. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Uh, I think the only reason the backdrop wasn't is because Bagwell wasn't the legal guy. So I think since Riggs was the legal man, they tossed him. But yeah. Public Enemy, I think this is what they're getting over is that they just don't care about the rules. All they want to do is just garbage fight and uh, trash, you know, just street fights and the the ECW style, according to what people think ECW style is. So uh, they're just doing things like the, the sandwich and then just tossing dudes over the top rope to get DQ because they don't really care about winning. They just want to beat the hell out of people. It's it's fine, and I, I, I guess, but I'm not believing the Public Enemy as those guys. That may be what they do. But I'm not believing that as a as a character now, like you know Ming or or somebody like that. Fine, but um, not the Public Enemy. I'm not buying it. A finish like this makes sense to me the first couple weeks of their run because you're getting over their character. They they don't care if they're disqualified. They want to put people through tables, whatever. They debut back in January. This is April. They need to start getting wins uh, instead of doing this same nonsense week after week. After. We're seeing the same thing. Sometimes they connect with that finish, uh, that post-match table spot. Sometimes Rocco goes through it all on his own. But no matter what, we know it's coming, and that's really all we're, the fans are supposed to be waiting for, I suppose. And the match is just kind of there. I thought the males looked good for, for on their side of the match anyway. Yeah, I did too. They look fine. Bagwell, like you said, looked really good. He came off the top at the beginning with like a double clothesline. Uh, he hit the plunger to the floor. He's just doing things that you'll never see again as buff. So um, enjoy it while you can if that's what you're into. That's sad. It's, it's short-term, short-lived that Bagwell's finally really coming into his own as a worker in the ring, a really good wrestler, and it's so close to the end of that run at the same time because that is – you know, uh, When does he get his neck injury? Oh, God, that's late, way later. That's NWO, right? Yeah, he's NWO. They do the – where Rick Steiner with the Bulldog? Yeah. That's quite a while down the way. I think that happens on Thunder, so I I know that's quite a ways off. I know he definitely doesn't do anything after that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We continue. I can't say I blame him. No, not really. I mean, but was he really doing anything up until that point, other than taking a bulldog from Rick Steiner? Well, give us about eight months, and we'll be able to we'll be able to answer that question. (laughs) And we go on with the show. Mean Gene Okerlund. It's the Lethal Lottery, the Battle Bowl at Slamboree, and Mean Gene with some ladies out here. He's going to draw some matches for the paper. He actually announces a few. What great matches these are. It's Hugh Morris and Ming taking on Ming's partner, the Barbarian. What odds are that? And hard work Bobby Walker. And this might be one of the reasons that Walker cites the <laughs> when, when he sues WCW. This might be the reason because they actually pull him out of the match in favor of DDP heading into the pay-per-view. We all know what happens at that point. Also... Fire and Ice, Scott Norton and Ice Train just happened to draw draw one another's names. They're teaming up at the Lethal Lottery show to take on Stevie Ray and Big Bubba. What an interesting match that is. The girls have no idea what they're doing out here, you can tell. Mean Gene tries to ad-lib with them. He tells them to cut the cards. They don't seem to know how to cut cards, shuffle. They don't really know what the hell they're doing here. Uh, but they're, they draw one live match. And I wrote, why did you announce two and then draw one live? Then it all makes sense because... We learned that Arn Anderson and Eddie Guerrero are going to take on the team of the Macho Man and the Nature Boy Ric Flair. What are the odds, Steve? No, oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's my point, man. If you think uh, wrestling is real, this is it for you. This is going to end it. 
Every fucking obvious. lethal lottery match, either a team was teaming or a team was facing off against each other or Savage and Flair in the feud together are facing off. And we even learned like Regal and Finley were supposed to team. It's it's like overkill to the max. Yeah. And VK Wall Street and Duggan team. Right. Uh, that's later on that we'll find out. So it's just like complete lazy. And what's sad is lethal lottery back in the day, like there was nothing really like that. It was completely random, it felt like. <laughs> there was so many weird teams and combos. Yeah. and There was maybe one or two matches that had a feud in them that n- you needed. But this one was just utter laziness. Um, they put over the fact that Public Enemy drew each other as partners. So that gives them the advantage. But I'm like, yeah, it's Public Enemy. <laughs> so uh, it's, just, it's just they don't give a shit about this pay-per-view. They, they probably that they even booked it. They do care about the Savage and Flair feud, that's for certain. As we go back to the ring, it's Chris Benoit taking on Eddie Guerrero. I wrote, what a match on paper. More on that after the match, though, Steve. Chris Benoit is back from Japan, and Eddie Guerrero finally back on Nitro as well. The Cruiserweights finally back on Nitro. We've been asking for this for weeks, but no. As uh, the match gets going, we see a feeling out process. Chris Benoit works a chin lock as we head into a commercial break. Coming out, Benoit shoots Eddie Guerrero up into the air. Eddie comes flying back down about eight feet in the air, comes down with a flying head scissors takeover. It looked awesome. And Eric Bischoff tries to call it a necktie takeover. Then he says, also known as a flying head scissors. Really? And Eddie Guerrero then with a flying Rana from the top rope. Benoit again announces that as a necktie takeover. So I don't know where he got this from. I've never heard that term before or again here. Uh, Might be the only moves he actually calls in the entire match, however, Eddie Guerrero tries the victory roll, spins it around to a sunset flip in the corner, but Benoit drops his knees down on Eddie and grabs the ropes for leverage. Benoit steals the win in about seven and a half minutes. Would have made for a decent little TV match, not anywhere near as good as they could be, but they spent the entire match talking about Randy Savage and Ric Flair drawing their names as a tag team at Slamboree, and they ignore great moves and and near falls. I wrote fucking awful, just awful. We're right back to this. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I mean, the match itself was, to me, I'm not even counting the commentary. I was was calling the commentary bad, by the way. Um, The match just felt underwhelming. Uh, I don't know if it was because of the commentary or what. Just based off the two who's in the ring, I was expecting, you know, fireworks and a really good match. But it wasn't wasn't that. Like you said, there's a filling out process. There's an extended chin lock. Eddie was doing some of the flying moves way more than Benoit. There was a nice German in there with a bridge for a two count, stuff like that. But the the Rana, Eddie didn't get all get around all the way. Like he kind of ate the mat a little bit, so it didn't look as clean as it could have. And then the finish, they kind of got tangled up, and it's kind of ugly. Just it just felt very underwhelming. Like okay, Benoit, and Eddie, let's go. I can't wait to see this. And then all of a sudden, the match happens, and it's well, like we know they know how yeah, to work, so we know. We know yeah. they, yeah, we know they did this on purpose. They literally held back on purpose, and I'm kind of glad they did. I'm glad this wasn't like a sleeper four star match or three and a half star match or whatever you want to call it over this commentary. They would have done it no justice. So I'm kind of glad. It's almost like they knew. <laughs> it's like, well, they want to talk about fucking Randy Savage and Ric Flair. Let's just go out there and work a chin lock. Not that I'm not shitting on it. If it was any two other guys, this would be fine. You just expect a lot more from them. Yeah, like when you see them on the show, this is what we've been asking for and wanting to see. And now that Hogan's going, we're expecting to get this going forward. This was just underwhelming. And I, I do know at the beginning of the, sh- the match, uh, Bischoff's putting over the Cruiserweight title tournament that's been over for like a month now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> talking about how Eddie and Brad Armstrong are still 
alive for the U.S. team. And Benoit, he's like he was too busy focusing on horseman business over in Japan, lost a match to Otani. So, like, p- kind of shit all over Otani. And he's the Which champ, is funny right? because he's Otani won the damn fucking, yeah, he's the damn champion. <laughs> so it's like uh, Benoit couldn't care less that he was in the ring with Otani, let alone Otani being your cruiserweight champion. So right. Bischoff's terrible. Whatever. He just wants to put over what he wants to put over. And it, 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 we've talked about this from the beginning of Nitro. These guys don't get the rec- They don't get the attention that they deserve when it comes to their matches. And I don't know if they ever do. Yeah, and they, they, get, sandwi- comes in. they get sandwiched in between this Savage and Flair storyline. So we learned they're going to team at Slamboree before the Guerrero and Benoit match. And now after the match, it's Mean Gene Okerlund with one of the many vice presidents of WCW, Rob Garner. And Randy Macho Man Savage. Garner tells Savage that he is out of control and says it's unacceptable. Garner tells Savage that if it doesn't stop immediately, the ramifications will be severe. The Macho Man then toys with Garner's tie and finger in the face. Don't fuck with me. Uh-uh. No, never. And this stuffy suit played well here by Garner. I feel like he was really what he was portraying here. It came out very well for what he was trying to get over. This guy really has no business uh, out there trying to act, if you want to call it that. But I got to give him kudos. He's not one of those people that break character and smile when the wrestler's cutting a promo on him. So at least I don't know if this guy can smile, though. Maybe he doesn't know how. Savage going to (laughs) blow up City Hall, he says, basically talking about blowing up the Turner brand company. And remember when it was okay to say figures of speech like I'm going to blow something up? You can't do that anymore here in this this day and age. But back in 96, that was okay. People understood. It's just a figure of speech. Is Randy Savage going to blow up the entire WCW corporation? Garner suggests Savage needs professional help. (laughs) Boy, that's long overdue. Steve Macho Man. (laughs) Macho Vince man. tried in, what, 85 on TNT? It didn't work then. It ain't going to work now. Uh-uh. Don't even try it. Don't <laughs> think about it. Uh-uh. Savage then calls Garner a little, little, little stupid person. Uh-huh. And he threatens to slap Garner the old Dr. D slap to the face. He doesn't do it, but he does make the threat before the Macho Man storms off. And we get the old Mean Gene, <laughs> damn it, to close out the segment. As uh, just Macho Man going crazy one more time. Little, little, little oh, stupid yeah. person. Uh. <laughs> was, I like the line where he said all these suits and ties are getting a little too comfortable around the Macho Man. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> he did an excellent job here. Nothing new there. But yeah, like you said, Garner, he backed up. And when Macho got in his face, he kind of looked scared a little bit. He didn't feel comfortable out there. And he played his part well. He didn't mess it up or he he didn't, you know cheat savage out of what he was trying to say so um good good stuff all around there and what's funny is he can he can talk about blowing things up until after the olympics are over right right yeah they got a few more months in 96 right yeah he's got a few more months months. blowing shit up before before that gets 86 a few more months talk about blowing up before turner uh, yeah before that's the next uh sentence that can't be said on turner tv like a foreign object (laughs) Ooh, wow as uh, we continue on with the show, it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the ring taking on Ming for what reason? I have no fucking idea. A commercial yeah, immediately. Same, same thought process. <laughs> <laughs> so whose idea is this? <laughs> uh, we get a commercial immediately before the match, and I thought, man, I hope that they go two minutes before we come back. But nope. As we come back from commercial, then the bell sounds. So, no, we're getting the whole damn shebang here. Jim Duggan won't let Ming in the ring to get going, but Ming finally gets in. And the stomping and choking begins. He even applies that 
deadly trapezius nerve hold not once but twice. You go, Haku. Ming misses a big leg drop not once but twice, and Duggan makes his comeback. Duggan does miss a charge in the corner, and Ming beats him down, slow motion Steve Austin style in the corner. Eric Bischoff's new word now, he's not. people aren't hitting the deck hard anymore. Now people are glomming each other, by the way. I noted he said it twice here just in this match alone, glomming. You know the only other person I've ever heard use that word? My grandmother. I don't know what, I don't know. It's not a word that you commonly hear. As Jim Duggan goes for his two by four, but the referee grabs it away, which allows Ming to nail the thrust kick. But Duggan gets his foot on the rope. Bischoff said he knew where he was. Referring to him getting his foot on the rope, Bobby replies, he's never known where he was. Kind of opened the door for Bobby there. And Duggan rolls to the outside where he tapes up his fist. And he gets back in the ring with the tape hanging from his hand, but apparently the referee can't see it. And he nails Ming, who takes the slow fall backwards. Hacksaw gets the cover and the win in 5 minutes, 55 seconds. I wrote, why not use this match to talk about the Macho Man and Ric Flair? Why talk over Eddie and, and Benoit when... When we have this beautiful clusterfuck between Duggan and Haku. Uh, name value, maybe? I, I don't know. This wasn't... <laughs> I know it was shit on paper at the beginning, but this wasn't terrible. Ming was getting was. up on that big elbow uh, <laughs> and then the big leg drop that he missed. He was getting up on that. I never seen him really get up that high outside of doing, you know, when he was the Islander uh, with, with Tama. So um, it was cool to see Ming do some of those things. And it wasn't terrible. It wasn't good by any means, but it wasn't horrible. It was better than any Nasty Boys public enemy match. I'll tell you that. We continue on. It's Mean Gene pulls more matches for Slamboree, including Alex Wright in the Disco Inferno taking on Dick Slater and Earl Robert Eaton. That's supposed to make me want to buy a fucking pay-per-view? Gene then hits on the ladies standing with him, and he has them prepped with lines that basically uh, insinuate that they're going to hang out with Mean Gene following the Nitro here tonight. I wrote, Perv, as we also learned, the team of, as you pointed out earlier, VK Wall Street will team with Jim Duggan. What are the odds? And on the other side, it was supposed to be Regal teaming with Finley. Talk about lazy on both sides of the ring. Of course, that doesn't happen. Finley suffers an injury coming up, and he's off back to Ireland or wherever the hell he was living over there. And actually, Regal gets a replacement partner in Dave Taylor, of all things. I don't know how that's fair. Again, very lazy. So it goes from Finley to Dave Taylor. Mean Gene even, uh, again, ad-libs with the ladies. Uh, He says he has some extra money tonight, if you know what he means. These girls had no clue. Mean Gene going into the business for himself here. (laughs) Cherry what? Sounds like it. Cherry was hot, though. She was the one on the left in the red dress. The blonde lady. Yeah, that she looked like my high school girlfriend. Yeah. She was pretty nice looking. We go to the main event where all of the titles are on the line. I think Bishop got this idea from Mongo last week, you think? As all of the titles are could on have, the line. Or you could have stole it from in your house, <laughs> like two or whatever it was. Well, that made more. Well, and yeah, in your house three, I get what you're saying there, where you pin the champion, you win the belt. But this one makes less sense, at least the way they sell it is it's tag team champion Sting yes. and Luger, but also TV champion Luger taking on world champion Ric Flair and the giant who's the only man without a belt here. So he has the most to win out of this match. But. Here's where the rules make fucking no sense whatsoever. Apparently, Sting can pin his own partner, Lex Luger, to win the TV title. And the Giant can pin his own partner, Ric Flair, to win the world title. How does that happen if this is a tag team match, Steve? It's not a four corners match. How do you eventually get in the ring with your own partner? It's impossible. It makes no fucking sense whatsoever. 
Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. And if I'm Lex Luger, why are you signing up for this match? Because you're the one who can <laughs> you lose, lose the most. everything. Because if you get pinned, you're losing both belts. This was uh, something else. And my question is, how the hell do you give this away on free TV? Yeah, with no build. No build. They just kick off with the show. No build, no yeah. nothing. And it's just like, what the hell's going on? This is stupid. It makes absolutely no sense. As the match gets going, the faces double team and clothesline the giant out to the floor. Of course, he lands on his feet, and then they take out the nature boy as well. Ric Flair gets back in the ring and struts around and turns right around into a Lex Luger pose. And Flair sells it like he's scared to death. It was hilarious. Great stuff here. This is actually a comical Ric Flair match. This is what I was talking about. I don't know that he cares so much right now about being taken seriously as a top-level world champion performer. He's really relying more on comedy and, and the basic bumps that he takes every week. The faces dominate Ric Flair here, staying with the press slam not once but twice, even slams him off the top rope and the old top rope superplex, all the usual. And Stinger misses a Stinger splash on the floor right into the guardrail. And the heels take over heat on Sting. But it doesn't last too long before hot tag to Lex Luger after Sting no-sells a suplex. So this is what you were referring to with nobody selling anything that Ric Flair does. It wasn't like they worked in a, a, ma- or a spot where there's a double down or, or Flair telegraphs a backdrop and gets, you know, something done to him or, you know, any of your normal hot tag double down spots. Instead, Flair delivers a suplex to Sting and Sting just pops up. Basically, he hulks up for the nature boy here and it's a hot tag to Lex Luger. And that's when we see woman on the outside is holding yet another cup of coffee. As Lex goes to try to torture rack the nature boy, the giant grabs Luger for a choke slam. Sting comes back in with not one but two chop blocks, which drops the giant down to his knee, but he keeps popping back up and won't let go of the chokehold he has on Luger. Sting unloads on the giant, kicks and punches, kicks and punches. Finally, finally, the giant takes a bump, a big fall. Always does that really well here. The giant finally releases the choke slam and takes the bump for all the offense from the stinger Jimmy Hart then up on the apron, but he gets nailed off as well. As Ric Flair gets handed the coffee from woman, Flair then throws the coffee at the both of the baby faces, but they duck and the coffee goes right into the eyes of the giant and Ric Flair runs away, at least momentarily. I thought that was funny as well. And then the bell sounds, Steve, and I wrote, what the fuck? Again, another finish that I'm not really sure what the fucking finish was. Match went seven minutes and 24 seconds. The giant rages post-match, by the way. Flair finally returns with a towel to clean his eyes. Pleads on his knees, praise to the giant above. Please don't kill me, Mr. Giant. I wrote, LOL, more comedy from Ric Flair here. What was your take on the finish? Since when is uh, hitting your own partner with coffee or something a, a DQ? I'm assuming it's a DQ. I don't even know what the finish was or what they called it for, but when was that ever a DQ or anything? It's your bad. <laughs> so it's just a cheap way to get out of a finish when you book yourself into these matches. Uh, that's all it is. But this, this is a terrible finish to an otherwise decent match, but it's the same exact match we seen last week. Same spot, same everything, um, almost. Nearly to a T. Wasn't wasn't as good as last week's either. I don't know, man. It's rough. It's just, what was what was the point in selling that the I giant no can beat Flair, Sting can beat Luger. We never even see that teased here. Again, I don't know how you would even tease it because you can't really tag other people when you have a tag team. But they don't even tease that here at all. There's never a point where it looks like Sting's going to wrestle Luger or the Giant's going to wrestle Flair. Of course, no title changes hands in that regard either, so I don't understand the point of even announcing it that way. Yeah, it's, it's just 
it feels like, like I said, it just feels like it's a match or a gimmick to pop a rating. I mean, okay, if you like Bischoff announces at the very beginning of the show, so as soon as you turn on the show, they went straight to the table and Bischoff announced that all the titles are on the line and this is what you can get. The giant can pin flare. So you're like, oh shit, I got to tune into this. I got to see this because I want to see what happens. I mean, the giant can turn on flare, drop him with the choke slam and pinning. That's cool. That's different. Um, and then you see it play out, and it's just like, like I said, it's just a ratings grab. It wasn't intended to be anything special or unique or different. It was just a way to con you in, to tune it in at the very end of the show, so they can get that last bit of rating bump on the overrun. So it's just, uh, it's just a ploy by Bischoff. But the match itself was very underwhelming, and it's unfortunate. It's a great idea, and I, I feel like if it's done properly. Uh, it's not bad, but both of these companies have didn't done this in 96. I think it was 96, maybe in 95 for WWF. And it's, it sounds like a cool idea and probably a good way to sell a pay-per-view. But at the end of the day, it's very, very difficult to, unless you want two guys having all your belts, it's definitely difficult to book yourself out of it in that situation. So sounds good on paper, putting all the belts on the line in one match, but it doesn't necessarily deliver. Post-match, Mean Gene Okerlund enters the ring to talk to the Giant about what just transpired. The coffee burned, said the Giant, but it lit a fire in his soul. The Giant wants, wants a title shot next week against Ric Flair, and he starts talking like it's a far-gone conclusion, like he already knows this match is going to happen. I don't know how he knows, but that upsets the Nature Boy, who invades the announce desk and says this. Next Monday, the World Heavyweight Championship belt on your throat! It's Rick, Rick. Oh, just a Rick second. Set up. Rick Rick Flair. Set up. Rick Flair. Hey. Yes. I tried to apologize. You didn't like it. Now I'm mad. He tried to apologize. I don't like the way you look at the girls anyway. I don't so know you got till the end of the show to apologize to me. Or next week, I'm going to kick your big ass. <laughs> There you go. And so I thought that was fun. I picked up that sound by Ric Flair, just uh, again, continuing with the, the comedy. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I just, I love the delivery there. I'm going to kick your big ass. Uh, and, he, and what happens yeah. is you hear the crowd pop for those who, who didn't watch this or aren't following along by actually watching the shows. As soon as he says that, the giant leaves the ring and comes chasing after Flair. And Flair jets out of there, too. And that's why the crowd pops huge. The giant <laughs> in chase after Ric Flair after saying, I'm going to kick your big ass. But it was hilarious, too, where Flair said, I tried to apologize, but now you made me mad. And I don't like the way you look at the girls, either. So the Nature Boy being comical here, I thought. Being the Nature Boy. Yeah, and what's funny is he's like, you have till the end of the show to accept my apologies yes. or apologize right. to him. And when I, I looked at the timestamp, and there's like, like two, a minute and a half two, yeah, left two of, minutes the, left, of the show. Yeah. I'm like, uh, well, time's up. So um, another great spot, too, was Heenan. Uh, when they went to the table, Heenan's like under the chair and kind yeah, of I grabbed some, peeking himself uh, up real I, slow. I, I don't grab too many funny. screen caps of these shows, but I did grab that. It's like Heenan's head on the great. table or something. That was good stuff there. Bobby Heenan <laughs> yeah. hiding under the table. Doing his uh, part to sell more, it. Yeah, more but, classic um, Bobby. Yeah, for sure. And as we close the show, Eric Bischoff then confirms that a title shot will take place. I was like, wow, that was fast. As the Giant will challenge Ric Flair for the world title, quote-unquote, next week. In fact, that it is on the same taping, actually. Next week's episode will be taped here after this episode of Monday Nitro. And we also hear that Randy Savage is once again in handcuffs, this time by the police. 
Randy Savage getting arrested? I don't know. Uh, we'll have to tune in next week and find out more about that. Or, you, hey, you can huh, always call the hotline and beginning next week. Monday Nitro moves to 7 p.m. due to the NBA games going on. So it is what it is. And that's where we are with Monday Nitro. So they start off by changing up their time slot, Steve, and, you know, going on the air four minutes early. And now they're forced to go on the air at seven. So it's, it's changed again, basically. Unopposed then. They're not going against each other. Right. Yeah, it's the playoffs, so that, that's normal. But um, got to do what you got to do, right? And DeMeltz says Sting and Lex Luger went to a no decision. So it was a no decision, according to DeMeltz anyway, with Flair and the Giant. From a logic standpoint, the rules made less than no sense. It was explained that the tag titles were at stake, plus the TV title and the world title. But that Sting could pin Luger or the Giant could pin Flair and win their titles. Since it was a tag match, that made no sense. And it should have been a four corners match. Okay, that's cool. I, I, I'm seeing a pattern here this week. I'm agreeing with some of the shit that Meltz is saying, at least for this episode of Nitro. Or they should have never said the Giant could pin Flair and win the world title since it wasn't going to happen anyway. I could see that point of view as well. And then for more logic, with Giant out of commission, either Sting or Luger should have been easy pickings. Beating Ric Flair for the world title here with the Giant with the coffee in his face. So instead, they simply left the ring, Sting and Luger did according to Meltz, because they were scared of the blind giant is the way Meltzer took it anyway. So I didn't really pay attention to how or why they left the ring, but it's just coffee to the eyes of the giant. And then the match is just over. So yeah, it was, it would have been easy pickings for flair. It's a shitty booking for sure. And you can't blame Hogan this week. Pay attention. Like, no, if you pay attention, as soon as giant gets hit, sting just dumps out of the ring. Luger's thinking twice about it. And then all of a sudden he just gets out like front of hard cam and, he just stands out on the floor and watches the giant go after Flair or, or whatever happens, and they just hightail it out of there. Like, they just totally gave up an easy opportunity to win the world title. Um, but I guess Flair did hightail it out of there. I don't know what you can do with easy pickings when you're the guy that you need to beat hightails it out of there, and he's already in the locker room before you even get out of the ring. So He was just getting uh, a towel. What he's saying. He was just getting a towel. He wasn't running away. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Se- segment of the night was it the tag team main event once again was it public enemy and the american males eddie guerrero and chris benoit or i know you were looking at that ming and hacksaw match <laughs> definitely not Ming and hacksaw all right i honestly i put down main event i guess i, I really don't know uh i wasn't entertained by much of anything eddie and benoit would felt underwhelming and the rest of the car was just boring and predictable i was like it feels like once they do something the sure coffee they just keep going back to it over and over and over again like you said, Hogan took the, um, I got the shoe, so you're going to have to come up with something else. And then it's like, so they go to coffee, and we're going to see it for the next three weeks, and here we are. So it's just very lazy. It's very repetitive. Same shit over and over, like on Nitro. Um, yeah, the lethal lottery's lazy. The, the, the finishes are lazy here on Nitro. The storylines are lazy. Every, a lot of laziness right now in the booking department. Very, very flat and uneventful and not very entertaining. And I have to go with the tag team main event as well, only because it was probably the most entertaining thing on the show. But I, I agree with you. None of this show was really standout. None of it was very good. I could have done without this entire show. And really, nothing happened here that really had you skip this show. It would have really led up to anything other than you want to tell the story for Flair and Giant next week. I guess you could argue that point. But even then, you really don't need that to go into the title match. No, you really don't. We move over to the USA Network and Monday Night Raw for April 22nd. Back again in San Bernardino from the April 1st taping. This is the final leg of that taping. It's the go-home show to In Your House, Good Friends, Better Enemies. 
Last week, we saw Savio Vega cheated to win the Intercontinental title, so Earl Hebner declared Savio the winner. Tim White declared Goldust the winner. That's when Gorilla Monsoon held up the title. It's vacant, and we get the rematch here. It's kind of funny how it plays out this week that we could see both Savio and Goldust matches on the same Monday Warfare show as we kick off the show with a Savio Vega promo as Goldust makes his way to the ring for the rematch between the two. And they go right at it. Savio Vega with the early advantage. Goldust tries to run away, but why would you do that? This is for your belt. You're trying to win your belt back. Savio goes after Goldust, but it's Goldie who lures Savio back in the ring to take over. He even manages to kiss Savio right on the lips. And Vega makes that big angry comeback, but takes a back kick low blow from Goldust and Goldust right back on top, working Savio's leg through a commercial break. And back from commercial, what an odd positioning for this. An insert promo from the Ultimate Warrior in the middle of the title match, during which a chin lock is used, so it makes a little bit of sense. And Warrior claims he's going to, and I quote, bust open a hole in gold dust at In Your House, Steve. <laughs> he, he seemed a little lost. Like initially, it's kind of like last week, but the opposite. Like he started off making sense at the beginning, and then he kind of just lost, the wheels fell off a little bit at the end. Whereas last week, the wheels fell off at the beginning and he caught, when he got went to normal, whatever normal is, he started making sense. And this one was the complete opposite. So he's like, he's batting 50% right now when his, with his promo since he's been back. Back to the match, Goldust with Savio wraps his legs around the ring post, but Vega pulls Goldie into the post and said, post Goldust out on the floor. Vega inside the ring, both men down as Stone Cold Steve Austin and Ted DiBiase make their way to ringside. Goldust mounts Vega in the corner, crotch to face, as he takes over control once again, and we go into a second commercial break in this match. And back from break this time, Savio Vega slides out of a curtain call. Great move. And he nails a spin kick on Goldust. I wrote, what amazing agility for a guy Savio's size. Goldust tries that inverted suplex, and Savio, like a cat, just slides, glides over, lands on his feet just effortless, effortlessly and nails that big spin kick yet again. Savio then telegraphs a backdrop. However, Goldust slams Savio's face into the mat. Marlena then distracts the referee. Savio Vega with the old O'Connor roll. We see that a lot in 1989 NWA. Now they're stealing spot here in 96. Savio with the O'Connor roll. Goldust kicks him off. Savio goes running forward into the ropes where Steve Austin's waiting with a Million-dollar title belt shot to the head of Savio Vega. Goldust regains the Intercontinental title in 15 minutes. And after the finish we saw last week, I wrote, How the fuck is this okay, though, Steve? I guess Tim White didn't want to come down for this one. But no, I didn't think of it when I watched it. But yeah, it makes no sense. How come Gorilla didn't come out and see this one and do something about it? It's one of those rare miscues from WWF as far as continuity and, and things like that uh, that you didn't really see too often back then. I mean, it happened, but it wasn't frequent. You When you have a, a finish last week where they got a DQ, it should have been a DQ or something like that, and you set up this match, you need a clean finish either way, and they didn't give us that. Obviously, we got the new champion. Nothing happened, but you can't do something like that and then turn around and do the next week, do the exact same thing and not do the same thing you did last week. And so, it was the exact um, same thing. It's a belt shot again. It's essentially yep. not the same finish because Austin's involved, but there's another belt shot taking place. Another guy's cheated out of a loss. Savio should have petitioned here. Maybe Savio should have picked up the services of Clarence Mason at this point. Definitely should have. That would have been interesting. Well, it could have been. 
Uh, we see an in your house video. We learned well. We learned last week that HBK and Diesel will be no holds barred. They sell that here as the pay per view is only six days away, and then it's Warrior merchandise time. And he even gets his own theme music played during this because, of course, he does. We learned that there's two Warrior shirts for forty dollars. I was actually I was digging one of these shirts. The second one they showed here, the one on the left, I like the yeah. one on the left. Yeah, that looks pretty cool. Yeah, that was yeah definitely. And it's Vader time. We already know the finish to this because Eric Bischoff spoiled it for us on Nitro. He takes on Fa Two here. Vader has Razor Ramon at in your house. This match is joined in progress, but it looks like it just started. Vader going to do something for the first time tonight. They say on audio on the commentary. Of course, this audio is recorded after the fact, and that's important here by the end of the match. Vader attacks, but Fatu makes the big comeback and knocks Vader down not once, but twice. I was actually surprised Fatu got this much offenses. It wasn't long, but he did get some offense here. Bumped Vader a few times and even nails the running diamond cutter and the top rope splash. That's, of course, Fatu's finisher, but Vader pops up. He no-sells Fatu's finisher. You did not see that a lot back this day and age in the WWF. Guys just popping up from finishers like over on Nitro. And then Vader with the big clothesline turns Fatu inside out. He goes up for the Vader bomb, but you hear the smart marks as post-WrestleMania crowd chanting, Moonsault, Moonsault, Moonsault. And so Vader gets up for the Vader bomb, and he gives them what they ask for. Vader climbs to the top rope and delivers the Moonsault on Fatu, picks up the win in only a minute and 54 seconds. It's reported that Vader actually got heat from Vince McMahon here for doing the Moonsault rather than the Vader bomb because... It wasn't heelish enough. He was getting pops for doing it. And that's not what you want to do when you're a heel. And so Vader, of course, did that placated to the smart marks in the crowd. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure it's one of those, another one of those things on the long list of uh, stuff that happened to Vader that probably didn't keep him in favor with Vince, <laughs> so to speak. I don't know. It's a different crowd. It's that post-mania crowd. Give them what they want. You know, that. They stuck through a three-hour mania. This is a four-hour taping. You know, just just give them what they want. Let them get something, you know. Vince needs to quit being a dick. And poor Fatu, it's pretty, the writing's on the wall at this point. He's getting all of his moves in, but he's, uh, you know, reached jobber status at this point. Unfortunately, he's doing the, he's not really coming out here and getting very many wins. He's just coming out here to put the bigger names over at this point. It's unfortunate. I thought maybe there were some legs to be had here when the Fatu character initially debuted. Obviously, by this point, that's uh, not, not necessarily the case. Yeah, it's unfortunate. We see a clip of a match from Germany where Jake the Snake Roberts had recently taken on Owen Hart back on April 20th in Beirut, Germany, involving... You see Jake basically looking to go for the win here on Owen Hart, but Davy Boy Smith attacks the Snake Man, and Meltzer notes that the angle was pretty bad since it was hard for Davy Boy to look vicious with his knee so tender, Davy Boy rocking an injured knee himself. And the bad knee was obvious since all he did was stomp, which is where knee injuries become the most obvious, says DeMeltz. Jake Roberts wound up making his own comeback here, Steve, and laid Smith out and put the snake on him, which is kind of a weird thing, says DeMeltz, for a face to get all of his revenge before the In Your House match takes place. Of course, it's going to be Owen and the Bulldog taking on Ahmed and Jake Roberts at the In Your House. It's also surprising to see them put Smith in this position against a lower-level babyface says DeMeltz, when the idea was to start rebuilding the Bulldog for Shawn Michaels. Yeah, I don't know why you would show this clip. I mean, just leave it for Germany, if that's what your plan is. To uh, I think they just wanted the storyline for the pay-per-view is the only thing I could really come up with here. Yeah, that's probably it. Just unfortunate. Jake looked like shit in a short clip, too, <laughs> just so you all know. God, he looked terrible. 
Yes. He was huffing and puffing just to get that DDT. Like when he shakes his hand in the air, he was like dying. <laughs> I don't know how long the match was before he got to that point, but Jesus, get into shape, old man. <laughs> Which never actually happens, at least not until like uh, DDP yoga. And even then, yeah, questionable. COPD took care of that, you know. <laughs> we go back to the ring with the Godwins, <laughs> accompanied by Hillbilly Jim and, as Vince McMahon calls the dog, Old Blue. As the Godwins take on Tim Patterson and Yoshihiro Tajiri. Did you catch that, Steve? Oh, definitely did. I know those those boots and those trunks <laughs> from his ECW days. <laughs> Tajiri. We'll see how smart he is, too, in this match. It's excellent. Yeah, it's very intelligent of uh, Tajiri. And if you didn't know Sonny won best buns over the last three weeks, they make a reminder of it again here as they replay the Slammy Awards where Sonny wins best buns and manager of the year as well. The body done is, and we see clips of them, how they stole the tag team titles, the tag team title finals from the Godwins at WrestleMania, thanks to the help of Sonny and her, her assets. Uh, Jerry Lawler is reportedly left commentary to interview the Donnas, but he doesn't really do so. We get an insert promo again, uh, instead from Sonny and the body Donnas. No Jerry Lawler in sight. Sonny alludes that they will slop the Godwins before too long. Jerry Lawler then returns from interviewing the body. I don't know if they had planned for him to, and then he didn't. I don't really know what the story was here, but Lawler returns to commentary and says, Sonny has a surprise for the Godwins. As here we go. I think this is what you're alluding to. Tajiri hits some nice offense. Standing moonsault even gets a slow motion replay of the move and wisely tags out of the match for the Godwins can do any offensive moves to Tajiri here. I don't know if somebody told him to do that, or he did that all on his own. I don't know if he got that information from you know one of the agents backstage. I don't know if he was taught this in Japan. I, I don't know, but I love that Tajiri came in, showcased himself, even got an instant replay spot in on a you know he's a job guy basically, and he gets an instant replay spot mm-hmm. in, kind of like the Hardy Boys would get every once in a while with with some of their stuff. And that was it. He tagged out. <laughs> Perfect timing. I loved it. <laughs> and he didn't get back in either. So, no, uh, definitely, definitely wise move there. He- it's not like a tryout, but he's still going to make it memorable for whoever watched it. So uh, very, very smart. Awesome, awesome stuff by Tajiri. And as Tim Patterson gets in the ring, he takes the brunt of the offense from the Godwin. Sonny to ringside with the World Tag Team titles. Hillbilly Jam with Old Blue, the old dog Blue, chases Sonny off backstage. And Lawler implies that Hillbilly Jim was lured away from ringside. And we'll see why here after Hank. Slop drops Patterson for the win in 3 minutes, 35 seconds. It's the Bonnie Donnas to the ring. As they attack the Godwins, they post Henry Godwin on the floor. Then the double slingshot suplex to Phineas as they rub Slop all over the face of Phineas Godwin in the ring post-match. Yeah, just a nice little angle to get some heat on the match going into In Your House. So uh, it was good. I mean, the slingshot suplex looked way better with the Donnas doing it than the dudes ever did. And, uh, yeah, not a, not a bad... Not a bad angle. And what's weird is instead of just dumping the slop on him, they stuck their hands in the bucket and poured it like smeared it all over his face on him and rubbed it. Yeah. Smeared it all in his face instead of just dumping it on him. I wouldn't want to touch that shit, but uh, I think they just wanted to keep the slop off the mat. (laughs) That could be it too. Uh, But uh, yeah, definitely awkward. You you just assume they're going to pick it up and dump it, but they set the bucket right next to his head and just start grabbing it and rubbing all over his face. So, uh, Good, good angle there. We saw him debut recently. He put The Undertaker out with a mandible claw. It's Mankind to the ring, taking on Aldo Montoya. 
Aldo attacks Mankind with a dropkick in the corner, but Mankind no-sells. And Mankind with a leg drop across Aldo Montoya on the apron. And then a short-arm elbow. You've seen Jake's short clothesline? Mankind here with a short-arm elbow. I liked it. Unique moveset, at least for the WWF. You don't see these moves a lot in the WWF. They're thinking, you know, it's a guy that came in thinking outside of the box. It's not the basic offense that we see from most of the guys here in the WWF. We actually go into a commercial break, even though this is basically a squash. Aldo comes back from break with a comeback, a drop kick into the corner on Mankind, and comes goes to the top rope, but leaps off into a punch to the nose. I don't know if he was supposed to leap down into the mandible claw. I kind of felt like that's where they were going, but instead he takes a punch to the schnoz, right in the schnoz there, as Mankind takes back over, puts Aldo in the tree of woe, and nails the running elbow drop, yanks his hair out, and then lands the stuffed pile driver, the cactus pile driver, if you will. And it's mandible claw time. Mankind puts Aldo out of his misery. Three minutes and 27 seconds as the soothing piano music plays him out. And Aldo with more foaming at the mouth from the mandible claw here. Just what he needed. I mean, feed him some opponents to get him over. The movesets there, the gimmicks there, everything's there that you need for this, this guy. And uh, it's awesome. I love his I love his offense right here. This is my I'm not a Mick Foley fan by any means, but I love Mankind. I love the gimmick and I love rewatching like when he first came in. I don't like all the changes and everything else that he goes through throughout his career. But this this right here is is excellent. This feels like a continuation of ECW uh Cactus Jack and uh the promos and, and the story development and things like that and the character development. Uh, that he was really good at in ECW, and it's just carrying on here with Mankind. Yeah, I like that guys like Mankind here, even the body dentists to a lesser extent, are being are being used, at least at this point, the body dentists are being used seriously. They're not a co- complete comedy act. They're a cartoon version of maybe like a, a Smoky Mountain tag team, basically. Uh, obviously, the blonde, the blonde hair and the goofy outfits are, are one thing, but what they're doing feels very, I don't know, like, Southern territory, you know, the attacking the, the baby faces, smearing things on just things like they're trying to get heat. They're not a comedy act yet, or they're not underneath Sonny completely yet. They're actually being used with Sonny still at this point, and they're doing real angles to get heat here rather than some of the goofiness that goes on later in, in their run, at least as heels. And the Mankind character so far is a great job. They're doing a good job booking him. We haven't seen The Undertaker. He's working guys that are on the underneath, Bob Holly, Aldo Montoya, so their names we know, and he's he's you know putting them out pretty fast with ease. The Mankind, the character, is excellent right now, for sure. The show continues on, and it's a video recapping the long history between Shawn Michaels and Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Of course, that's going to come to an end at the In Your House pay-per-view, at least as far as TV goes. Uh, but it's uh, Shawn and Diesel in the main event at In Your House this Sunday night, and they do a good job here with a video recap of their tumultuous time together here in the WWF as we close the show with a Diesel locker room promo from Germany. Diesel says he will teach Shawn Michaels a lesson, the final chapter in HBK's career. Diesel doesn't want the belt. Having the belt was the worst year of his life. I man, I can't believe Vince let this one go through, slip through the cracks. I just can't see Vince being okay with this line here where he basically shits all over the belt, meaning nothing to him. He doesn't want the world title. He says he doesn't get accolades, but people know who really led the new generation, inferring to himself, not Bret Hart, not Shawn Michaels. It was Diesel. 
who ran the new generation. Sean is a dime a dozen, but Diesel is a genetic wonder. Guys his size don't grow on trees. He threatens Vince McMahon, too. Says he has a score to settle with Vince. Of course, I'm sure that's a smart mark playing in there to the smart marks. Anything can happen, says Diesel. So he teases that he might get his hands on Vince on the way out the door. And, of course, by this point, the story's out. It's everywhere. Diesel's leaving with Razor to WCW. You don't know exactly when he's leaving, but you kind of figure it's got to be shortly after this pay-per-view or after this pay-per-view. So maybe he will get those those shots in on Vince on the way out the door. Of course, it doesn't work like that, but I love that he kind of threw that in there. Just try to another selling point to the pay-per-view as Doc Hendricks' shit band plays out this episode of Raw. <laughs> yeah, really good promo by Diesel. He kind of made that same comment after WrestleMania or whatever. No, after, what was the Survivor Series? When right. he went heel. The and, I'm back uh, promo. Yeah, so he kind of made those same comments. Um, then he's just kind of reinforcing it now. Like, I don't really care about belts at this point. It was miserable being a fake person. That's not who Kevin Nash is. That's not who Diesel is. Um, he doesn't want to live that life again. It makes sense. But, uh, yeah, he did an excellent job of, throwing that out there like okay you guys know i'm leaving so i might take some shots at vince on the way out uh you better tune in to find out and obviously they actually deliver on the threats it may not be vince but they actually deliver so um to a degree anyway i would say not really good promo by diesel there segment of the night steve was it the godwins against tim patterson and tajiri sighting was it the awesome (laughs) jake versus owen hart clip with davy boy running in the Vader Moonsault, or was it Goldust taking on Savio Vega in the rematch for the title? I'm going to go with Savio and Goldust again. It wasn't as good as their last week's match. It felt like this one, Goldust worked the leg a lot, kind of took up. I, I felt like they knew they had to go a little bit longer, so they, they worked the leg spot throughout the match. And that that's smart because last week the legs is what got Goldust, you know, all the kicks and things. So if you work the legs, Savio can't really do that. So it's very smart storytelling by Goldust there by working the leg the majority of the match. I'm looking at this show a little differently now than what I did when I took my notes, which is funny because I just did the notes like three hours ago. But um, it just felt like uh, this was underwhelming at first. But the more you talk about it, it was actually a really good show. Uh, Vader and Fatu was fine. Fatu's a great seller. So he he did good for Vader. And apparently a good company man, too, to go out here and fucking basically get handed his ass in under two minutes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah pretty much and then you know the godwins match was nothing but the angle is what mattered there and it really helped deliver to hype up their match a little bit at, um in your house and obviously mankind with this the character development going on and just doing more of what he did to get himself over and then that last package just the history seeing all the history of diesel and sean together um People forget, like, you know, you, you watch, you, you know, episode after episode, but you kind of forget everything that happened. And, like, these dudes have been buddies since 93. Here we are, 96. It's been three years that they've been together uh, in one way or another, you know, on the opposite side or being friends. So it's it really cool to see that video package and that history of them together. Yeah, pretty solid stuff overall. I'm going with Savio and Goldust again. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing, although I wish they played the Sunny video again this week. I wouldn't have complained about that, but <laughs> Goldust and Savio just, um, it's, it's a one-match show again, really. I mean, as far as wrestling, really good wrestling goes, our yeah. like, competitive match goes, so you really almost have to go with that, but I thought they did a good job with the squash matches. 
like you said, the Godwins. Eh, <laughs> I'm not going to write home to any about any Godwin. Although it was cool to see Tajiri in there. But uh, it was the Donna's attack yeah. afterwards. It was pretty cool. I thought Mankind looked great out here. They told Cactus Jack to go get this over. He's doing a great job with the character right now. I like the offense. I feel like it gets lazier as time goes on. I don't remember having all this cool offense the entire time. But I, I'm enjoying him here so far for sure. And I, and I think that's a common theme. You, you've pointed out, we've, you've said this a lot in the last couple episodes, it feels like. And not just of here on this warfare, but like a couple or They've been doing a lot of rematches lately, and you keep saying the sentence, it's not as good as the first one. And I think that's a common theme lately. They've been doing a lot of really good matches, and then they've been doing rematches, and they really haven't been living up to the hype of the originals. <laughs> so maybe they should uh, learn from that eventually here, I hope. But yeah, I'm going to go with you there, too. It's uh, Goldust and Savio all day long on this show. And... Those ratings be in. WWF Raw scored a big win in the ratings on April 22nd with a 3.3 rating and a 5.0 share. It's best figure head-to-head with Nitro to date. While Nitro drops down to a 2.7 and a 4.1 share. And shame on them. Of course, that show really was a a nothing show uh, over there on WCW Monday Nitro. So I have to say that the real winner here for me this week, I'm just going to cut ahead and say that real quick would have to be raw simply because it's just the better show. And I think that the people made the right choice this week when they were choosing between nitro and raw to, to watch raw and breaking it down into the quarter hours tells an even more interesting story. Uh, WF actually destroyed WCW for the first 45 minutes of the show, an hour long show. First 45 minutes, raw killed nitro leading 3.5 to 2.4 over a point higher rating there which, if it had held up, would have been the largest margin for a WWF win to date. However, it reversed in the last 15 minutes as WCW shot up from a 2.4 all the way up to a 3.2 for that tag team title match. Of course, like you said, Bischoff promised every single title was on the line, and that apparently that worked here. Of course, Nitro still loses the ratings, but what a jump, almost nearly a point ratings gain based on that uh, four man tag team cluster fuck title match that Bischoff sold early in the show <laughs> while the WWF fell off from a 3.5 all the way down to a, a 2.9, which closed the final rating. So raw does win, but that last quarter hour, this is where the first quarter hour really comes into play. It looks like, yeah, Bischoff with his selling of these, any title can change hands. It seemed to work. Definitely did. And uh, it probably Bischoff probably thought, you know, mission accomplished. Uh, they did what they wanted to do. I'm not. I'm not surprised. I don't know how the WWF has kept the momentum, but they've kind of really, you know, they really took advantage of that week that WCW wasn't there, and they've carried it with them. And I will say, like the last three weeks at Raw have been really, really good as far as building stories from Mania to the In Your House, and then getting these new characters over and putting them in spotlight matches not necessarily against name opponents but just really showing them off like okay this is the new generation these are the new guys these are this is what's taken over and um you couldn't ask for a better way to establish this new talent they've done an excellent job yeah it's mark marrow it's mankind it's the body donnas for better or worse it's the godwins i mean they're getting these guys on tv they're telling you these are the guys going forward at least uh, here in 1996 and it's also funny because reruns of Murder, She Wrote, which my grandparents watched prior to Raw, 
preceding Raw, we're getting a 3.1 rating. So they're barely just, these are reruns. A murder she wrote, Steve. This shows you how far off the marker wrestling still is from, from the uh, casual person out there because the reruns of murder she wrote are falling just underneath the actual Raw rating, which, you know, I mean, what it, it is what it is. Meanwhile, over there in WCW world, the lead in to uh, Nitro at this point, Thunder in Paradise is drawing a measly 1.1, which is probably, again, another good reason why they don't mind taking Nitro to two hours. Definitely not. I love me some murder she wrote. So I watch reruns all the time. Even binge on Peacock now that I got uh, premium, I guess, for free with Xfinity. So uh, I'll be throwing down watching some murder she wrote. I try to get into it, and I just can't. It gets campy sometimes, but I'm a big Matlock guy myself. I wish that was on, on Peacock. But uh, the, the real winner like here, Matlock Steve. Matlock as well. Yeah, Matlock's the man. I love me some Matlock. I just finished uh, binging all of that earlier. this uh, Back in 2020, I watched the whole run. Uh, the real winner, I already said for me, was Raw, Steve. I'm going to ask you the same question. Who's your real winner this week? Uh, I put down initially Nitro, but like I just said, the, after listening and talk about the show and everything, uh, it's definitely Raw. You can't go wrong with Savio and Goldust. Vader and Fatu was good for the two minutes they were out there. Godwin's, the angle was nice. Mankind is awesome right now. So, I mean, all in all, beginning to end, it was a really solid show. So, I'm going with Raw. Okay, so we agree Nitro again this week. Raw, yeah, Raw has been killing uh, Nitro uh, the last few weeks, not just in real ratings, but just with our, our opinions as well, just uh, the better show. And it's it's funny to watch Vince just stay that course and continue to – Build towards mm-hmm. the next pay-per-view. Everything makes sense. We even get treated, treated, I use that term loosely, to that video package of Jake over in Germany with the Davey Boy Smith-Owen match. So it's uh, they're d- doing <laughs> what, what they can to, wanted, right? t- to build everything on the show up, and I, I got to get them credit for that. Uh, there's some good stuff on that show, and then there's also Warrior and Goldust on that In Your House pay-per-view. I can't wait to fill that time uh, <laughs> when we do the watch-along. Uh, but yeah, again, Steve, we're done with another one. Another one, we wrap it up as we continue on with April here. And well, we're, we got one more week of April to come and then we're into May. So next week on Monday Warfare, it's two more weeks of Nitro, two more weeks of Raw. In two weeks time, it's again, two more weeks of Nitro, two more weeks of Raw. And in three weeks, Nitro will go to two hours. You know what that means, Steve? We're changing our format. It's going to be one week of Nitro and one week of Raw as we give a little more time to cover the changes in WCW, the layout of the programming, more cruiserweights, the luchadors will be in here, Uh, obviously the NWO headed in Hall, Nash, guys like that. It's just a changing of the guard in WCW to a degree, at least until Hulk Hogan gets back. Yep, I'm excited for it, man. Can't wait. It's on the horizon, the best part of in the history of Nitro. It's coming up. Some people may disagree. Uh, I don't. Once Hall comes down and you see it, that's uh, that that till about October is where it's at. So I'm excited for it. So for the next couple weeks of Monday Warfare, we'll continue the build to Slamboree and the the shit fest (laughs) that is that pay-per-view. That'll then go up on our Patreon account. Again, patreon.com slash Russell Copia for all of our watch-alongs. $5 a month. Subscribe now, please. And, uh, yeah, WrestleMania will be up soon in your house. Good friends, better enemies. And, uh, by the time we get to that Monday warfare show, hopefully we'll have slamboree up as well. That should be interesting trying to make it through that one. And, uh, yeah, in three weeks though, it's, uh, the new two hour nitro format. Looking forward to that. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do to fill those early shows with time. Maybe some uh, longer quality matches. I hope maybe some Milenko and Guerrero type things. We'll see what happens there. 
I know we get the Mauler and Steve Dahl, uh, that's for sure, on that first two-hour episode. And Scott Hall will be in by that point. But he's got to get through Vader first here at the In Your House, Steve. I want to thank you for joining me again this week. Lots of news this week regarding Brian Pillman, contracts, and all that other good stuff. But Hogan on his way out, at least for a while. Should be fun for at least two or three months. Yeah, to say the least. We need to get a clock up or a timer or a counter or something of uh, how many episodes of Nitro does it take for us to hate Hollywood Hogan after he joins the NWO. Because uh, I think initially I love it, but when you try to rewatch this stuff and it's the same shit week in and week out, I, I, I have a hard time understanding how they got 83 weeks in a row. But um, I guess we'll we'll talk about that as it comes. But it sounds like a good counter. You know, we had Steiner watch. We need Hollywood watch or something. <laughs> Hogan watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll man, come it's up, been fun. Yeah, we'll definitely come up with something for that. I, I like that idea because I'm curious to see how long before I, I get sick of it as well. I remember, well, I'll tell that story when, when the time comes, uh, ways off, but I'll remember it when we get there. It's actually a, oh, it's a funny story to me when Hogan made the heel turn. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's quite a ways off still. And, and once we go to that one-week format, it's going to take a while to get there. But when we do, it's going to be a brand new world in professional wrestling, to say the very least. So yeah, I appreciate you, Steve, man. And I appreciate everybody who continues to listen to Monday Warfare because we're really we're trying to crank these shows out as fast as we can. And it's just two weeks, every week's up, uh, up until now. We've really gotten through, what, four, eight months now. Eight months of this raw Nitro war. And it's been up and down battle between two sides. It's been fun, and the fun will continue. Steve, thanks for being here, my friend. Um, no problem, man. It was fun. Can't wait for right. the next one. And I want to thank all you guys for listening to us once again, subscribing, downloading both Monday Warfare. You can find us at Monday Warfare on Twitter. Subscribe, follow us there. You can also follow our sister show, the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're going to be moving away from NWA 89. As you hear this, we're going to be headed over to a new promotion and a new year. To find out which one, you'll have to tune in to the Wrestling Memory Grenade and follow us on Twitter there at Wrestling Grenade. That's R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And once again, I want to thank everyone for listening to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. 